want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, the hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Why are you asking me? It's your birthday! It is my birthday as we're recording uh, because ah! <laughs> a little thing like a birthday doesn't stop the podcast from happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, I had some delicious cheesecake. I had a uh, almost as delicious margarita just because uh, my mom makes a really good cheesecake. Uh, so as as fabulous as that margarita was, it just didn't didn't have a didn't have a chance. But I, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I'm just sort of thinking of Comic Con as my birthday this year. Just I'm just going to kind of take a victory lap. So you know, like I'm turning thirty, or today I turned thirty. So I just my sister's kind of planning on just walking us into bars, and be like, "Hey, it's my sister's thirtieth birthday," and hoping we get free stuff. Um, I don't know if that's going to work out, but uh, I'm sure it'll be fun to to hang out with everybody and, and visit and. I mean, I spent, other than my birthday dinner, I spent today um, working all day and then at the DMV, so. I mean, I guess it's onwards and upwards from there. I feel like, I'm, I feel like I'm a, I'm good to take this one. But the, the lovely people at the DMV were very, very kind. Uh, less kind was the news that uh, Amazon and Netflix have passed on Hannibal. I'm starting, I've like moved beyond the bargaining phase and trying to get to acceptance um, that it may not come back, uh, but otherwise, it's been a pretty light TV week, and we're kind of happy because we got a long, long ass show this week because we have our Comic Con preview. My sister came back this uh, this year to help us with that again, so that we could look at all the different panels and all the different TV coverage that's happening at at uh, uh, Comic Con this year. That's really long. That'll be at the very end of the podcast. Before that, I had the chance when I was at Austin, the Austin Television Festival, to talk with uh, Aiden Young and Abigail Spencer and Jay Smith Cameron from Rectify, uh, which was fabulous because they screened the first episode, and then I got a chance to talk with them about that a little bit and the show as a whole. So that'll be coming um, this uh, at, later in the show as well, before the super long Comic-Con thing. So if you want to just skip to that, go to about uh, an hour an hour and 15 minutes before the end and you'll uh, you'll have the rectify talk you can look in the show notes for the time for the timestamps but uh, it was fabulous to talk with them and you get to find out whether or not Aiden Young has a sacred Canadian accent <laughs> I will uh, let the listeners discover that as uh, as the podcast continues we will be previewing um, rectifies new season as well as many other things this week it's a very very full week. We're going to save a few shows to talk a little bit about more next week, seeing as I will have little chance to watch things at Comic-Con. But uh, but we should just get into it, because it's a very full week. Yes? God damn. There's yeah. so much. There's so also, much. Did we mention it's your birthday? We oh, my God! <laughs> so last week it was our 200th episode. This week it's my birthday. Uh, iTunes has been busted for us uh, right now. <laughs> So it's a great timing, but hopefully we're hoping we have that fixed at some point this week. We're just waiting for some emails from iTunes, but um, 
but yeah, hopefully that'll all be worked out and we can just enjoy the 200th ness and the my birthday ness and coming up soon our four year anniversary. Um, so send us your emails, uh, listeners, if you have any thoughts on the four year anniversary of of the Televerse. But for Yay. now, let's uh, let's take a break and come back with a full week in comedy and reality. We'll be right back. comedy and reality i'm going to talk very briefly about cucumber and banana even though cucumber is a drama more but we're going to talk about it with banana here in this section then simon's going to talk a bit about orange's new black season three because you finish that up then i'll preview hollywood game night and uh, talk a little so you think you can dance then we will both preview key and peel's new season um, and talk inside amy schumer wing woman also starting up this week on the cw is the show called dates we didn't have screener for and why with hannibal barrest is starting on comedy central as well but that is going to be a topical show that they record very shortly before it airs so there aren't screeners for that um so we will talk a little bit about keeping later on but first let me talk about cucumber and banana so i had seen the first half of the season of banana last week and i finished up both of these shows i did not have a chance to watch tofu i'm hoping i will get a chance to at some point but um but no i I did not realize that Cucumber was like an hour-long show and they were so completely, totally different. In the opening episode of Cucumber, they explain the titles of the shows and it totally makes sense and it's kind of amazing. And I, I love the titles now. Um, I, I really appreciated both shows and they watching them in the way I did is not necessarily how they're designed. I think you're supposed to watch like episode one of each of them and then two and like that. But I watched all of Banana and then I watched all of Cucumber. But it was actually kind of fun because then I got to remember back to there were a couple scenes that you've seen in both shows but from different perspectives. And that really heightened some of the enjoyment. Uh, Banana had some really fun stuff. A lot of very personal stories and just there's there's a couple episodes in there um, that are really very, very good. Uh, there's there's a there's a character who's got some level of like um, anxiety disorder or or OCD in one of the later episodes of Banana, um, and when she's uh, talking about you know the dif- these different habits that she has or, or quirks or um, compulsions. It's like, I just figured, you know, what if, and then I didn't call, and then my mom died, and all this stuff that a lot of, I think, goes through a lot of people's brains, just we never get to see that kind of character expressed on TV in a way that respects that character without making them defined by that trait. Um, So there was just a lot of, you know, characters like that that I really appreciated on uh, Cucumber and Banana. And and Cucumber is a much more dramatic show while still having all the humor, and it just, it's... It's one of those shows where the last line is so fantastic that 
it recontext and it sort of recontextualizes the whole season or the whole series and um in a way that's just really lovely while also not while keep while being very true to everything you've seen and, and not changing anything not uh invalidating anything you've seen uh, the performances are really good and there's a lot of um there's some pretty intense stuff as well as some really really funny stuff and plenty of peen on the screen there's a particularly notable peen on the screen uh simon you gotta watch cucumber just there is it involves there's there's a hair situation um that's all i can say and you, so you're gonna have to watch cucumber just for that I mean, I was going to watch these anyway. I mean, it <clears throat> it seems like it's been a really good year for British stuff. Uh, so At least the stuff that's making it over to us. Yes. Uh, I mean, we've enjoyed Humans, and Catastrophe was great, and I can't wait to get to these. Yeah. Um, what about Orange is the New Black Season 3? Because I've only seen the first episode still. I figured I would knock down so that I, there are fewer shows I haven't seen rather than fewer episodes of more shows that I hadn't seen. So, So should I make this a priority? Uh, uh, I would like to say yes, but I have to say, overall, I found this season to be a bit of a disappointment. I think the... Uh, I I don't know how other people feel about this. I know that people have thoughts on Ruby Rose that aren't related to the show, and I'm not, I'm not going to comment on those things. Uh, however, uh, I think that the moment she shows up and sort of becomes more of a character, I don't think she's the... She's by no means the only problem with the season, but uh, she definitely is the harbinger of the stuff that doesn't work, and uh, see, and and her uh, sort of more pro- her prominence seems to coincide with many things in the season beginning to feel repetitive, and you really feel the structural re- repetitiveness and the structural flaws, and more than anything else, I feel like Orange is the New Black really needs to shake it up uh, in terms of its structure and also in terms of. Um, the way it builds its characters and the way they use flashbacks. I mean, you've seen the first episode. It's so great. Uh, almost all their episodes that are based around a theme rather than around a single character work wonders. Uh, like the Valentine's Day episode from last season is one of my favorites. And the opening uh, episode of this season, which is centered around Mother's Day, uh, and again, has flashbacks for just about everyone, I think is one of their best episodes. Uh, for every other episode, it's not much of a spoiler. Uh, they go back to the one episode, one character flashback structure, and some of the episodes are are quite strong. I'd say three or four of them are pretty strong. The rest are mostly pretty middling, to be honest, uh, especially in the second half. And uh, the by the time you get to the ninety minute finale, which goes frankly on and on and on, and there's no reason it needed to be that long. Um, you just feel like the air has gone out of the show. And I I think one of the things they used to be so good at, even if it brought other problems was that balance of drama and comedy and tension. And there's not a whole lot of tension this season, which seems to have been a deliberate choice. But I think in the absence of that, it sort of makes you realize how, um, how lacking certain areas of the show are in terms of momentum. Uh, So yeah. And it also doesn't seem comfortable being just a hangout show either. So if it wanted to commit to doing that, I think it could really work. They've got enough good characters, but I think they've just spread themselves a little bit too thin. Uh, I think they could probably use a shorter order or thinning out the herd a bit character-wise, maybe send send a, a few of them home, or maybe just rethink a few things. But I think it's definitely their weakest season, and I think that seems to be a bit of a consensus among most people I've, I've, uh, I've encountered. So what I'm hearing is ish. Ish. Despite hearing... Um 
so, uh, you know, like you said, it, there is a general consensus, general consensus among the, general criti- consensus. <laughs> the critical community that this is their weakest season yet. But I think if anything, that probably is helpful because it'll temper my expectations a bit. Because I think last season suffered a bit from over, you know, higher expectations because people were raving about it so much. So it's probably actually for, for me um, not the worst thing to hear. Yeah, I mean it's it's still enjoyable. I I don't regret watching it, but I have to say there was a lot of excitement in my household for it, and especially over the course of the season, if especially if you're binging it, it just gets to be a bit of a slog. Like it, I think maybe if you watched it piecemeal over the course of like a few months, you might, it would probably that's probably like the best case scenario. Noted. So I'll have to think about that. Um, but next up is Hollywood Game Night, which is start coming back this uh, this Tuesday. So as you guys are hearing this, it's back tonight, theoretically, or last night, um, if you're hearing this in Wednesday morning. And um, I, you know, I always enjoy the show. It's one of those ones that I kind of forget about until it pops up, or until, for example, for this one, they email me and tell me there's a screener, uh, and then I watch it right away because you know I'm I love these kinds of silly games. And they, there's a few new games that I think are, are a good change up. There's a thing with like with pillows that they have to. It's like musical chairs. You have to grab the celebrity pillow that matches whatever the the category is and so there's some fun stuff like that they they do a good job of, of changing up the keeping some of the favorite games but not being too married to the same ones every time so you don't get tired of them uh they have a good interesting mix of guests so far in the one that i uh, episodes that i saw or the cast list that i saw some returning uh people but some new people as well um so i still am enjoying hollywood game night and i'm glad that it is a thing that exists over the summer um, yay. So yay! Uh, I don't think it's your thing, Simon, but um, it is certainly my thing. So if you liked it before, you'll like it again. Um, next up is "So You Think You Can Dance," which had its second Vegas episode and revealed the top twenty. And my main takeaway here is, if they had not put Yaya through, I would have been so upset. Um, so I'm very glad that she's through. the The structure of the season would have really benefited or the viewing experience of the season would have really benefited from them being much more upfront with what dances we're going to be seeing, what the structure is going to be. And, um, you know, so when we have the, the Latin ballroom guy leaving because he goes, Oh, wait a second, you guys are barely doing ballroom this year. So I, why should I be on the show? I'm just not going to stay on because you guys are going to do maybe a little bit of salsa and a little bit of, of like a couple different styles, maybe tango, but you're not, they're not doing any, um, and he waltz. So he leaves because his strength is a, a genre that they're because of the the stage versus um, versus street. They're not really gonna do. And so it's nice. It would have been nice to see them embrace that and and really discuss. Well, the positive side is they got all these really interesting street dancers that they never seem to get. Certainly not in this number because they have done this style. But it would have been nice to see them talking about how they've had very few. Uh, ballroom people really come through the the auditions in the same way and um instead they just kind of scold the guy for being leery about the structure of the season instead of um you know whereas they're happy to praise all the people who are excited about the structure of the season so i don't know i just you know i'm not i'm leery about how this is all going to go and i don't really believe them when they say that they're going to be having every style of dance it's like mm, really but are you <laughs> Because you didn't make anyone do any ballroom in all of uh, Vegas week. So if you actually cared about people being able to do all the styles, you would have made them do ballroom. And they didn't. Um, so it just feels kind of disingenuous. And, of course, 
uh, as I keep saying, uh, Derulo and all the gender politics and the uh, uh, heteronormativity we continue to get from the judges is really, really frustrating. And I'm hoping that will just kind of, you know, fade into the background somewhat as we get into the actual dancing of the season. Anyways, um, excited to get to the live episodes of So You Think You Can Dance, which means we won't be talking about it next week because we'll be recording when it's airing. Um, but I'll keep checking in as the show continues, as the season continues. Let's move on to our preview of Key and Peel Season 3. Um, were you disappointed like I was that they maintained the True Detective opening credits? I'm confused about that because not even True Detective has the True Detective opening credits anymore. I mean, it kind of does, but it doesn't have the Handsome Family song anymore. So now it's, it was, I mean, it was a cool reference for like four episodes. Then they did it for a whole season and now they're just keeping it. I, I don't know. I'm, maybe that's just for the screeners and we're, and they'll change it somehow. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like they're going to. Very confusing. Yeah, because they keep driving, you know, because they have that, the, they're, they're maintaining those inserts of driving rather than a live studio audience. Yeah, um, super weird. Which is, yeah, a little weird. But what did you think of these episodes? I saw, I've seen the first three, you've seen the first two. Um, You know, I have to say I didn't laugh a lot in these two episodes. Uh, I would say that w- between the first two, there's a sketch involving uh, some fantastic uh, hair and facial hair combos on an airplane and uh, a new anger translator. Those were pretty good. Other than that, it was really iffy for me. Yeah, I I like these more than you did, it sounds like. Um, But I certainly wasn't laughing out loud as much. I didn't really like the the facial hair one wasn't... That one wasn't particularly great for me. I'm I'm sure the people who love the East-West Bowl and everything will get a kick out of that one. But um, no, I liked the new Anger Translator. And um, there was basically at least one or two sketches per episode that I ended up really enjoying. And I I certainly was having a lot of fun watching the show. But yeah, I wasn't laughing out loud the way that uh, I would hope to be. So hopefully there's going to be a few coming down the pike that will be standout episodes. Not to similarly... like. Keen Peel seems to have at least one, maybe two or three episodes per season that's really consistent and really very, very solid. Um, not dissimilar to Amy Schumer, though hers tend to be, like you said last week, front-loaded on the season. Keen Peel tends to be a little more spread out. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm very glad the show's back, and I certainly enjoyed my time watching the, the first three episodes. I, I will say the production values and the, the technical aspects, as usual, are superb. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be talking about these a little, little bit more specifics um, in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, we don't want to spoil anything. Uh, well, let's move to our last show in this week in comedy and reality. And that is Inside Amy Schumer, their penultimate episode, Wing Woman. We had uh, Amy as a terrible, terrible wing woman for Rachel Dratch. We had Listen Alert, which you could probably tell by my voice. I enjoyed that one. We had Amy time traveling. Uh, we had a witchcraft trial. And then we had Amy Goes Deep with a formerly Amish woman. Um, I think those were the main ones. I may have missed one or two. Uh, which which of these stood out to you? Uh, which one works? Which ones worked better than others for you? I don't think I really liked any of them. I mean, there were some like individually amusing moments in some of them, but like I don't know, the sense of pacing was all over the place. Especially the Amish one just seemed to go. Uh, sorry, the um, the witch hunt one just seemed to go on and on. Uh, I didn't think that was one of her better interviews at all. Uh, yeah, and I, I stand by my front-loaded idea. I really liked Listen Alert. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could identify with that one. <laughs> that was very good. Um, the time travel one got... I li- when it, As it got more and more absurd, I enjoyed it more. So when we get, like, the 
the most futuristic one with the ridiculous hair and everything. Um, that was pretty, and the, and Amy's willingness to just go shoot a guy, uh, was also pretty fun. Yeah, I agree though. The witchcraft trial went on way too long and wasn't nearly funny enough. It was one joke for like five minutes or what felt like five minutes. Um, certainly, uh, not taking as good of as much advantage of that, um, setup as I would have liked and that's sort of how I feel about both that one and the wing woman one I feel like yeah there's an interesting premise there but it just doesn't get developed enough um at least for me and uh yeah so a little, little underwhelming I like the interview with the formerly Amish woman but again that's one that like there's a very interesting conversation to be had there and she doesn't ask why did you stop being Amish like so there's just seemed like some pretty obvious questions that it would have been nice to see her at least approach um and, and really engage the woman on that she never really did so um, a couple sketches I like more than you did, but, um, yeah, not, not her, not her strongest. No. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, go back and watch those first few and then look at the contrast. It's like night and day. Yeah. Yep. That's, I can't argue with you. I certainly, yeah, I, I really can't argue with you. So what wins your week in comedy and reality? Hmm. Having not seen cucumber or banana yet, uh, I will give it to the good bits of Orange is the New Black. I'm thinking specifically of um, most of the Tiffany stuff was good. Um, most of the Soso stuff was good. And the Chang episode was good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm honoring the good things. Okay. And not the, and not the Piper things. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm gonna give it to cu- Cucumber and Banana. They, there's enough overlap there that I'm just gonna give it to them um and yeah good some some just even just the scene with the hair is enough uh, i i could just give it to that it was there's some pretty great stuff in, in those two seasons so that's what wins my week in comedy and reality now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama genre and drama we're not going to talk about jonathan strange we're not going to talk about humans and we're even not going to talk about halt and catch fire because we're going to talk about them all next week we don't really have new things to say about them right now we still i still enjoy jonathan strange you still haven't watched as much um and same thing with humans and halt and catch fire we still love I don't get why this episode was getting so much praise over the other ones. I think the other ones, I think it's been a really consistent season. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. People talking about how there there were, I will say that um, there were a couple of shots that were unusually elegant. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the show's direction next week. But yeah, other than that, I didn't, it was perfectly on par with what came before. 
Yeah. Um, instead, I'm going to preview The Strain Season 2, and then we're both going to talk about uh, Rectify's new season as well as Masters of Sex. And then I'll talk about the pilot for Zoo, First Blood. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I'll also talk a little bit about Mr. Robot. I forgot to cover that one last week. Wanted to check in with it this week. You'll talk about Hannibal, because there's hopefully by the time y'all are hearing this, the This Is Our Design episode is up in your podcast feed, so you already know what I think about that. We'll chime in with Deutschland 83, Atlantic Lion, and then Simon, you caught up with some Unreal, so I'll talk about a little bit about Truth, but I'll get your thoughts on the second and third episode before we wrap everything up with the Penny Dreadful finale and They Were Enemies. So first up is The Strain Season 2, which I wasn't really planning to watch any of, but then they sent a DVD, and when they people send us DVDs, I watch it, which is why I'm going to power through five episodes of uh, of Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll when I'm maybe Oh my god. Interested. There has to be a word for this. Well, but uh, who knows? Maybe it's great. I haven't watched it yet. I wasn't very thrilled about what I was hearing about it, but who knows? Maybe it's great. So I'm going to watch all the, all the... They sent me episodes, I watched them. So they sent me three episodes of The Strain Season 2, so I watched three episodes of The Strain Season 2, and there's a couple things that I enjoy. There's It's just still... There's a couple things that are just really gross. There's a... You know... So people who enjoy that aspect to the show, don't worry. You're going to be catered to. Um, one of the things I really like is that they sort of remember that their main characters are, are doctors who work for this, for the CDC, like that's disease specialists, um, you know, whose main, theoretically their superpower is stopping plagues and epidemics. And so they sort of remember that and then have those characters focus in, you know, in, in sci a scientific, you know, approach to what they're de dealing with, as opposed to having them running around New York and shooting people um, because they have that training. So, I really appreciate that refocus. The stuff they're giving me and Maestro to do is way better than everything they settled her with last uh, last season with her mom and everything. Um, so that's definitely a step in the right direction. There's definitely more uh, David Bradley, which is always a good thing. So like, basically, I think this is a step forward from what I was seeing in season one. Um, there's a little bit clearer sense of the structure of the bad guys, like what's going on with them and the, like the, the different factions that seems a lot clearer. And, uh, there's some interesting new developments amongst the good guys. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sold. I'm not su suddenly magically on board, but it certainly, I think is a step in the right direction. And there's just a couple moments that are really relatable that I think just a couple lines where I just laughed out loud because it just felt much more honest than the kind of reactions we tend to see in these types of shows. So, um, so I will definitely give them credit for that better than I expected and easier to get through three episodes, even though they're, they're long guys, they're like 56 minutes without commercials kind of long. So just be prepared for that. Uh, set your, you know, DVR a little bit longer for, for this new season of the strain. But, um, yeah, so, Glad I guess glad I watched them, and um, from where I was coming from, that is a, a, a vote of confidence in season two of The Strain. Um, where are you with season two of Rectify? We have seen the first two, and is this a vote of confidence? Do you have a vote of confidence for season three of Rectify? I do! Uh, and uh, first of all, I took a strange bit of satisfaction because there was a music cue that I was predicting would turn up in the finale of Justified, which was uh, The Promise by Sturgill Simpson, and it never happened. Uh, despite the Justify finale being called The Promise. But then that song showed up in a, in a pivotal scene in the second episode of Rectify. So <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think I'm going to say that I called it, even though that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, 
Um, I still absolutely love Rectify. Uh, these first two episodes feel more akin to how season one started than how season two started. If you'll recall the coma mini arc, which frankly I wasn't all that wild about. Uh, this is more grounded and, um, I think there's there's some fascinating stuff going on with uh, w- with sort of what they're doing with the uh, the legal aspect of the show in terms of the investigation, and I'm very interested to see how that's going to pan out. Um, it seems to me, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this. Um, it seems to me the most interesting thing they can do now, given where the characters are, and I mean even where the characters are by the end of season two. I think the most interesting thing they can do right now is find evidence that totally exonerates Daniel, but then they still have to live with how messed up he is. Is that just me? No, I actually, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. Because that doesn't change who he is. Like that would change nothing other than maybe clear up some of his legal woes, but he's has other potential pending legal woes because of the stuff with Teddy Jr. So, you know, that could lead you to an, uh, you know a whole other ba- uh, kettle of fish too so like that could bring that into it as a continuing drama but um yeah because you know he he wasn't sure so it's not like he knows he did it and then it gets exonerated and that's where the drama comes from he doesn't you know so if they find evidence that he didn't do it okay well then he still had the same 20 years he still had you know amantha has still you know sacrificed 20 years of her life trying to get her brother out and then only to have him quit on her in the way that she would, you know, she thinks about it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think that would be very interesting. Absolutely. And plus it would detract from some of the less interesting elements of the show for me, which is the, the, what we get with the, um, former DA. There's, there's something that comes up with that character that I think has the potential to go somewhere really interesting later in the season. But, um, that has always been the corner of the show that it seems the least developed and the, the most, yeah. uh, uh, disappointingly straightforward. So, so that would be, that would certainly be interesting, but for the episodes that we actually get, I really like what they're giving Amantha. I think that's much more interesting. And, and again, it, it, um, it complicates things rather than simplifying them in, in a yes. nice way. I like very much that we get a slight change of um, scenery, I guess is the right way to put that. To keep a spoiler free, we get characters outside of environs that we usually expect them in the most low-key of ways. And um, that's a nice change of pace. I still continue to enjoy what they're doing with Tawny and uh, with Teddy Jr. And I like, again, that there aren't any simple answers. And... They're even giving uh, youngest child who's I'm sorry I don't I still don't know your name Jared or something yes they're, Jared they're giving him a little bit more to do which is yeah. I think also a good thing so yeah we like rectified the first episode did not blow me away the way that some of the other premieres have um, or some of the other premieres finale like the big ep- episodes of the show have but I'm certainly glad to be back in this world and yeah it was I'm very glad rectify is back. Yeah, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that the second episode is almost Teddy-centric, and I continue to really, really love what they do. The gnarly, weird, upsetting, and yet totally human things they're doing with that character. Um, And I I just, I I think we need to appreciate also for a second how um, Adelaide Clemens must be really good, because I think on any other show, Tawny would be the most insufferable character ever. Oh, hugely insufferable. Um, yeah, 
you're absolutely right. She would be a very difficult character um, to to sympathize with or be interested in. And so, yes, I absolutely. The same thing is true with Teddy. Like the, the yes. and it's not just the performances; it's also the writing, the the handling of those characters, letting them feel, um, letting them feel like actual people while still fulfilling these these roles that we've seen uh, more frustrating characters fill in other shows. Um, yeah, that that's the whole team coming together, as far as I'm concerned. But certainly for the performers, the writing, the direction. Yeah, and uh, and and also and some and some points for like. I feel like they waited until the season where the actor and the character were the right age to finally give the son stuff to do. Is, yeah. Is that just me? <laughs> well, I mean, that that could be the case. I think they also just, they didn't have time for him earlier. Yeah. Because of the other stuff that they were, that, that was going on. And now that a few things have, have settled a bit, they can, they can have space for him. So yeah, I, I'm hoping that, that develops but it's only a six episode season and we've seen the first two so we've seen a third of the season <laughs> of rectify uh, which is kind of sad um any other thoughts on this or uh, besides everybody should watch it or shall we move on to masters of sex uh watch rectify ignore the promos oh hilarious hilariously inaccurate <laughs> like incongruous yeah that's just ridiculous. Um, but Masters of Sex it has its premiere this coming week as well. We've seen the the premiere of the season, and uh, that the the kind of trailers you're seeing for Masters of Sex or for you're seeing for Rectify, like the music choices and stuff, feel more in keeping with Masters of Sex. And things are complicated and difficult as they often are on the show, of course. But it's just watching these two back to back. It's just so much more fun, <laughs> Masters of Sex, and. Um, I the main thing for me that I think people I don't think I think they're okay knowing this is they they move some things forward. They fast forward a little bit in the timeline and I think that was a really smart move. I did not expect them to open in 1992. Yeah, I mean really who who saw that coming? Um but no, I I really enjoyed the premiere. I mean, it's it's even by Masters of Sex uh standards, it's pretty balls to the wall in terms of like let's just it it feels as though the 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 writers on the show have really committed to um it, it doesn't feel like they're going for for subtle historical social commentary anymore it feels like let's just throw all this contradictory stuff at you and see what sticks to the point where you know we get all this stuff involving the masters uh and johnson kids that's really out there and it's so out there that at the end of the episode they throw in an intertitle saying uh yeah so the show's based on history, but we made the kids up. We don't want you to think that that really happened with any kids. So just so you know, um, and that's the kind of show Masters of Sex is now, and I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that they threw that up there. Uh, I really like that they clarify that. It's like just FYI, the uh, the, the parent stuff is you know that's about right ish, but this kid stuff is complete creative license and. That's a smart move as far as I'm concerned. Glad to see Mather Zickel back um, in this episode. I don't know how much of a, a presence he's going to be on the season. Um, but, you know, I, th I think he adds an interesting dynamic. So it's nice to see that. I don't know how much we can really say. There's a few faces I would have liked to see, but I don't know where you would have found space for them in this episode. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode. Um, but it did kind of, again, watching it back to back with Rectify did sort of highlight for me that it it usually is not the meaty sink your teeth into a drama that I kind of would like it to be. 
don't know why I went up at the end of that sentence, but I did. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I mean, you remember episodes like Fight, and you remember how amazing Lizzie Kaplan and Michael Sheen are, and you wonder why they don't uh, go into that space more often. I think the answer to that is it's really, 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 really hard. Um, and, you know, over-the-top sex farce with, uh, with light sprinkling of social commentary is easier, uh, which is not to say easy, but maybe easier. Um, that being said, you know what I would really love would be a season of Masters of Sex that's really fun and, and, and entertaining and thought-provoking from front to back, and I'm hoping that they can actually do that this year. Fingers crossed. Uh, I know that we are, in general, we are pretty big fans of the show on this podcast, so um, fingers crossed for the rest of the season. Let's move on to Zoo, which had its pilot <laughs> on Sorry. CBS. No, that's the correct response. Um, <laughs> so this is the one with James Wolk as a uh, person working at a preserve or a um, taking care of some animals. Uh I'm not exactly sure what his job is. The show says, but I don't remember because I wasn't going to take <laughs> notes during Zoo. Uh, but the, here's what I'll say. Uh, James Walk is eminently watchable in anything. So he's very good, which does a lot to make this pilot more watchable. It's not a terrible pilot. I've watched a lot of way worse pilots. And it's actually when you have like five or six lions converging into like just eat people which is a thing that lions you know don't do um that's pretty fun but i just kind of wish that, that this had gone more bonkers you know bonkers awesome as as our buddies over at uh talking tv with, with ryan and ryan like to say um because i feel like if it had gone more over the top um i could have had more fun with it in like a sharknado kind of way um but Volk is surprisingly good and watchable in it, and uh, there is some crazy stuff, but not enough that it can be sort of like an under-the-dome watch it for how kind of terrible it is, but it's still fun experience. So I'm not going to be watching more of this, um, but it's not as bad as I would have expected, and at the same time, that's almost a little disappointing. I was going to say that's totally disappointing, although I don't know why you're surprised that Wilk is watchable. I would think, if anything, he would be the only re thing that would reliably be watchable. I mean, oh well, no, I'm a amazing. I'm a huge, huge fan of James Wilk, but um, what I mean is that even with this material, it's not like because sometimes you put a really good actor in with terrible material, and there's a disconnect. It's just your your right, mind yeah. can't quite process it, you know. And maybe that's because they're not a good enough actor. Maybe they're just a very serious actor who's not as good at comedy or, or is having trouble. It's just sometimes you watch an actor on a show, you're just like, this show is not good enough for you and you just need to leave. Um, and on Zoo, <laughs> it, it's it's more of a, you are making this work, my props to Wolk. That being said, how many times while you were watching it did you go, Lone Star! <sighs> <laughs> All of the times? <laughs> All of them. Uh... Anyways, oh god, that show would have been. So... Anybody who hasn't watched Lone Star, go watch Lone Star, and you can join us in our our sort of vague yeah. sounds of. of yeah. uh... It'll only take you about eighty five minutes. Yeah, and then you'll be sad that it only took eighty five minutes. Um, our next show, or my next show, is Mr. Robot, which I've seen of which I've seen the first two episodes, last week's episode and this week's episode. People are really excited about this online, and um, I think it's a solid show, but I d I just don't really get all the excitement about it it's called uh, the first the pilot's hello friend and then ones and zeros and it doesn't help there are a couple 
like not pet peeves but just little things that irk me in the structure of it or the way it's designed structure is apparently my thing this week but the the just the way that it's designed and so when you have the main character talking to the audience and we're a construct of his mind theoretically that doesn't help me with the voiceover and with the just I know that he's a drug user, a morphine addict, and I know that he's paranoid, and I know that he's not, we're in his perspective, very clearly in his perspective, so you don't, you can't, you know, it's an unreliable narrator, but that doesn't make his, his really self-involved speeches to the audience any less annoying for me, um, and I know a lot of people are really digging it, so I think that must be what's taking me out of it. Uh, I, there's some touches that I really like, the fact that this, like, large corporation that he sees as an evil negative force in the world called e-corp in his brain he just has trained himself to every time he sees the e-corp logo or hears somebody say the name he hears evil corp and so just everybody calls the bad guys evil corp throughout and it's delightful i think it's so fun um and there's some performances that i that i'm enjoying uh, there's a you know, the end of the first episode and then the beginning of the second episode and then specifically the end of the second episode didn't go the way I expected. And so there was a little bit of uh, appreciation there for just like, oh, they're taking it a different way. Um, there is a line from this sort of jerk character where he talks about how, how about his Twitter followers. That is, was laugh out loud funny. And I will be remembering that for a few weeks at the very least. So there's some, some good dialogue and, you know, it's, it's not a bad show or anything. I just, I, it, it feels really overpraised for me. So I'm just kind of hoping that if I can keep watching it a little bit, I'll see what y'all see. Cause this is one that it just seems, um, again, this is, I feel like I'm wrong somehow on <laughs> the internet must be right, but I just, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. So that's where I'm at with it. Do you think, are you, are you interested in Mr. Robot at all or not really? I literally had no idea it existed until four minutes ago. Well, fair enough. You'll have to see. If you have time, you'll have to see what you think and you can report back. But uh, let's move on to Hannibal Contorno. Um, and, uh, you know, I my review for this is up at Sound on Sight along with my uh, analysis of the score. What did you think? Uh, this was super fun. And uh, I, I it, it was super fun in ways that I wish the show felt like it could be more often. Um, I mean, things like Hannibal saying yeah i called Verge's hotline because it was fun <laughs> or like i mean it, it, things like that just, just don't crop up in other episodes and i wish that it would like even letting hannibal sometimes be kind of funny and i know that you think he's funny more frequently than i do but just even like it, it's okay it's okay to be funny a little bit more often and not like I feel like the show gets a little bit too content with its own heaviness sometimes. And I, I say this in a loving way. Um, and I really, as much as I was enjoying the episode, it definitely got literally kicked up a notch when I did. I had no idea we were going to be getting another knockdown drag out Lawrence Fishburne fight scene. And I was super into it. Uh, so much fun. Uh, so much smashing and stabbing and. La Gazzaladra. La Gazzaladra. That's the Rossini piece that overturned ah, scores. Yes, yes, and, yes, and the music and the way that they switch positions uh, uh, between the street and the window, so great. Um, the stuff with Hugh Dancy was pretty slight, but still pretty nice. And and also, this was the first time I got to watch it live in HD, and oh, so much better, so much better. 
It's so very pretty. Yeah. When when Chio just throws him off the train, I laughed and I laughed and then I laughed some more. Uh I yeah, it was it was very fun. The first half of the episode I thought was was pretty um dour, you know, at least especially all the 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 Chio and Will stuff was getting rather self-serious for me. Yes. And then it just takes a turn and goes the other way and it's just, you know, ridiculous. Uh there's so much to to really enjoy about that second half of the episode that I ended up having a total blast with this, uh, like you said. That it's just so energizing. The yeah. what we get with the, that ending sequence, it you know, it really frees you up to um, to enjoy yourself and to to have fun with this episode in a way that usually usually on this show you're feeling bad or you're second guessing your enjoyment of it because it's so dark and because Hannibal is usually so in control that it was nice to see that changed up. Yeah, I think it's probably the only time in the history of the show that a good guy has gotten a win. Yeah, an like unqualified ever. win. I mean, qu- qualified in the sense that Hannibal gets away, but in every other sense, totally unqualified. Well, and because you know Hannibal has to get away because of Silence of the Lambs. He's not going to kill him, you know? Well, you know, I, I mean, or arrest him, but... He could arrest him, I suppose, but Jack doesn't have um, jurisdiction, and it's a whole... Anyways, but no, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, I absolutely yeah. agree. Any final thoughts on Hannibal, or is it time for Deutschland? Uh, yeah, let's talk Deutschland 83, which I think was also more fun than I was expecting. Um, as I, as I, as we was alluded to earlier, I watched the second and third episodes this week. Another show where I was not expecting... Uh, a knockdown drag out fight scene, albeit one that did not go on as long as I would have liked. Um, but still completely that, that sequence I had, I did not know that was coming and I was totally delighted by it. Yeah. That was a really pleasant surprise. The, um, <laughs> you think the scene is one thing and it becomes something else. Um, that, that was, that was pretty fun. And, uh, I also really like the, the, you know, like you said, the fun of that episode, uh, both episodes, and there's a element of um, can he pull this off? And, you know, the character really being over over his head uh, that, that I think works really well and really helps distinguish it tonally from the Americans in a way that I think is pretty important. I mean, by by the third episode, you're not thinking or even by the second episode, I wasn't thinking about the Americans anymore. It feels like a much sillier, broader um simpler show and i don't mean and those all sound uh demeaning but i i i don't mean to be because it is completely entertaining there it and it, it, it's weird because it, in many ways it's, it's more american than the americans is um if that makes any sense like mm-hmm. it, it feels like it could be an american production it just happens to be in german except for i guess a few things here and there um i will say that there are there are some moments where it is dumb like it has some moments where like for instance, in this, in I think it's the second episode when a guy who should, who apparently really should recognize that he's not Stam, apparently, just doesn't think it thinks it's Stam, and we're just we're just going with it. He's drunk, and he, he clearly doesn't know him as well. <laughs> it's like uh, Stam, you know, the, the the our main character who's masquerading as Stam, um, thinks, you know, he says, "Oh, it's your old buddy," and he's like, "Ah, oh, crap." Um, but really, it's just like an acquaintance, and the guy's drunk, and so he doesn't want, he doesn't recognize him, but he gets presented as, to him as him, so he doesn't want to, you know, be like, oh, I don't actually know you very well, that would be socially awkward, so I'm just going to you know, pretend like, I recognize you. I, I get that, but it was kind of a lame, uh, a lame out for that, because t- to me, that was such a great source of tension to be like, oh shit, there's like, there's just randomly a guy here, 
and he'll recognize me, and it was totally not part of the plan. And then it's just like, oh, that wasn't a thing. Well, I like I, the anticlimax of that, though, I guess. I Fair enough. Uh, I'm I'm less interested in, honestly, in the stuff with the girlfriend at home. Um, I do like that she's just, like, banging some other guy, and it's, and it's not, like, a huge deal. Um, like, it just, it just sort of happens. Like, obviously, she's upset about it, but there's no angst involved in the act, uh, which I mm-hmm. kind of liked. Uh, especially since it's pretty obvious that he's going to be doing some honeypotting pretty soon. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm not too enamored with the stuff back in uh, back in in uh, in the east. I do like the library though. The library, the secret library, was pretty cool. And once again, another great explanatory subtitle. Uh, at least on at least at least in the in the in the version that I watched. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Just like when she opens the door, I'm like, oh, that looks really cozy. You just need like a couch in there. It, could, it probably smells amazing. Like, I don't know. The, I, so it's like nice, you know, really inviting. You just have some cocoa and just be like surrounded by all these amazing books. Um, amazing illegal books. Amazing illegal books. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like, what would you do if you were stuck there and you were a person who loved literature and, and, and ideas? And, you know, how would you, you know, so I, I, I really appreciate that. And getting that little extra bit of depth that maybe we weren't expecting from that character without, I mean, maybe... I don't know, maybe it is predictable or, or just, of course, she has to be connected in with something nefarious as well. But I like that they give her more depth and, and they do it in a way um, that makes sense for what we've seen from her without um, without having it be a very over the top thing. Kate, you'd be a terrible socialist. I Yes, I probably would be. I, I assume I certainly would be. Well, actually, I think I probably am a socialist. You mean uh, communist? Yes. Okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would be a very bad communist. Um, any a, any other thoughts on Deutschland eighty three? Because I want to get your thoughts on Unreal now that you've watched the next two episodes. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Um, I don't know whether I'm just becoming a worse human, or um, or if the show softened up. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, because I I did enjoy the second and third episode. I think that um the what it does right is uh it gives everyone a little bit more context over time and that helps to uh cut the sheer blackness of it if that makes any sense uh especially as much as it's like a little bit broad and silly uh everything with uh with uh Rachel and her mom uh I think really really helps make that character a little bit more human even if it was a little bit on the cartoonish side um and I like that we they seem to be fleshing out one uh one or two of the girls at a time and not worrying too much about like building a huge ensemble. Uh so I think that's a good move as well. Um And also like it, it's 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 not leaning too hard on, on black humor. It's more of a straight drama, I think, in in that in the second and third episodes, which I'm also into. You, hence my my genre issue, right? Yes. <laughs> This belongs in in drama, um, whereas the pilot felt more like it was going for the hour long comedy feel. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely, I agree. And th- this this week's episode, Truth, I'm gonna stay vague so that you can catch up on it uh, if you're so inclined. Um, but I really like what they do. They continue that sort of trend of of picking one or two of the contestants to really focus on, and they change up the 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 tone. I don't know if the tone's the right word, but they. They change one of the 
core dynamics of the show um and they they allow some characters to sort of team up for the greater good in a way that doesn't normally happen in this episode and that was a nice change of pace and i think an important one to keep us from getting too exhausted with the bleakness Wait, by the, by the greater good do you mean the greater good of the show or the greater good of humanity i i don't want to say anything because spoilers for you okay i can enough. tell you if you're curious no, that's all right. I can wait. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I think that was an important thing for them to do. And the way that they do it works works very well. And I also have no illusions that that is going to be maintained long term on the show. Uh, so I'm not too worried about them losing what makes the show itself. Uh, so so they continue to enjoy the, the performances. And there's a couple developments that I think work really well in this episode that I'm ex- interested to see get explored. But the main thing I wanted to mention here is that it got it just got renewed for a second season. So way to go, Unreal. Oh. Yeah. Way, way to go, Lifetime, for continuing to massively fuck with your audience. Well, our last show of the week uh, is the finale for Penny Dreadful and They Were Enemies. And uh, this sort of went the 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 justified route, uh, finale route, of you wrap everything you think the finale is going to be focused on in the first, like, 20, 30 minutes. And then the rest of the episode is either denouement or, in this case, setting up next season. Uh, how did that approach work for you? Uh, not nearly as well as it did on Justified. Um, there's so much that confuses me about the reception to Penny Dreadful that I'm not going to get into right now because we'll be here forever. Uh, I will focus. I, I will mention a couple things I did like about this episode. I liked uh, my favorite part of the episode was the eight frames or so. Um, I mean, like a third of a second, wherein during the puppet sequence, and everyone who's seen the episode will know what I'm talking about. You know, the scene where Eva Green talks to Eva Green, the puppet, and they have a mental showdown or a spiritual showdown. There's there's a part of the scene where Eva Green, the real one, turns the tables on Eva Green, the puppet one, and like, and Eva Green, the puppet, doesn't really know what to do. So, so Eva Green, the puppet, like Eva Green, the real one, is staring her down and like, and then the puppet one has this second where it like its eyes go to the side and it's like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> that that's that split second. That was a good shot. That was my favorite part of anything this week. And it was, like I said, very short, but totally worthwhile. Almost made the episode worth it. Uh, and I also liked the 25th hour-esque uh, scene of um, of uh, Eva Green and Josh Hartnett's Impossible Future, which was so corny, but still totally, totally worked for me. Um, it was the only like big emotional moment of the show that really landed, for me at least. Um, the rest of this was mostly just really dull. And uh, I was really disappointed to find out Semvene was actually definitely totally dead. Uh, I would be perfectly happy if they found some bullshit way to resurrect him next season. Um, and yeah, it was mostly just a series of really, really depressing payoffs that I didn't feel invested enough in for them to matter. Although I, I appreciated how committed they were to the melancholic vibe, but none of it really like connected for me. Yeah. That moment you mentioned with the puppet uh, was fantastic, but the rest of it really wasn't. I'm sorry. Like when when they're actually having their showdown, that was wonderful. Uh, but the rest of it was like, guys, I'm sorry. Apparently, there are limits to the magic that Eva Green can can conjure for you because even she can't make this work. Because no one could make this work. Um, yeah, she, though she's trying her darndest. Uh, bless her. Uh, the the. I just don't I just that it's a puppet who's supposed to be <laughs> Satan and it's a, it's a, it's just a puppet and it's the voice of Eva and Green. it's the voice of Eva Green but it's just like like it 
and they don't try to make it look realistic at all. It's just like the mouth is moving, but it doesn't match the voice at all. You know, like because it's a puppet. That's what I'm not getting. <laughs> like, it's not like the puppet comes to life or something and it has like a weird uncanny valley thing. No, it's a, like a plaster and painted. I, I, I honestly think if you're going to do that sequence, they probably did it. The, I think that was probably the best way to do it. Uh, it's just a question of, did you really want to do the sequence? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the stuff with uh, Frankenstein was mildly affecting, but it just really underlined for me how much I prefer the first monster because that was really getting to me in a way that Lily and uh, John, Claire, I guess is how he's going by now, that I really didn't care about anything they were saying. But our first, you know, anytime he talked, I was like, yeah, you should feel bad. It was way more effective on me than than having other people talk. Yeah. Because that character hasn't been compromised in the same way. So um, I could, there was, there was a potency in what, in what that performer was able to give that scene that I, the, you know, anything Billy Pepper is saying, I'm like, okay, but you're evil and you're going to be our big bad next season. So I know that you're lying and there's no truth to anything that we shouldn't ascribe any truth to what you're saying. And the same thing yeah. is true for um, the Timothy Dalton characters, families, uh, like family members, especially um, the, the daughter who's like, I shot you because you were a vampire who was going to kill me. I'm sorry. That's just... That doesn't have that same po uh, power that they yeah. that they clearly wanted it to. Though I think again, I think all the actors did their best to really sell it, but they're really highlighted for me how uh, how how compromised, the, especially the John Clare character, has become based on how they used him in season one. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot about those first twenty minutes that really don't work. Especially like that was a, this episode features a master class in how not to cross cut edit like a multiple plane climax. Um, we're in like at the la at the end of the last episode and the beginning of this one, Lyle is getting like neck strangled by one of the nightcomers, and then like literally twenty minutes later in the episode, he's still getting neck strangled by the nightcomer, but then he shoots it. Well, and yeah, oh. it was all like, oh, they just shoot him. And there's like nobody thought to do that earlier this season, but I guess it's because they're they're big bad, you know, is has been killed so they're less powerful but still it was a little convenient um how easily everything how tidily everything came together and how quickly uh, are you excited about what we're getting for next season what are we getting for next season well we're getting I mean... evil dorian gray we're getting lily and we're gonna have to rescue all of our people from point i imagine we'll get something in africa with uh, timothy dalton and they'll have to be something that you know that triggers john claire coming back and um, well, I imagine we'll have a Wolfman escape. Uh, I need zombies and Bene, since we don't have any zombies yet. Um, I don't care what happens to John Clare. Although, if they're going to pair him and Eva Green up, that's like the only way they can make him even vaguely salvageable. Um, and yeah, I don't really care about uh, about Junkie Victor. And although I, I totally predicted them, they're just going to straight up make Lily the big bad, which seems to be what's happening. Yeah, and that scene with the waltzing did work pretty well um, for me. The I'm not really interested in that as a season long thing for next year, but I hope that they can come up with something to you know change my mind. Um, and and I absolutely agree with you by the way that about the uh, the potential alternate future. I thought that that was very affecting, and that's down to the performance from Eva Green and also from Josh Hartnett. And also the mention of we're gonna hang out with uh, 
with uh with Jonathan and Mia was super creepy. <laughs> Mina, yeah. Mina, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was that was nice. Uh yeah, so so I again, I liked it. There there were parts of the show that in the season that really um surprised me with how effective that they they were and um I continue like I said last the towards the end of the season last year, Josh Hartnett has been really good on the show and hopefully this shows other people how to use him and how to, the kinds of you know things just how good he can be in the right kind of role because um, I would like to see him get other opportunities based off of this but um yeah I th- I, th- I think there's a there's just a disconnect between the show I'm seeing and the show a lot of our uh, fellow critics that we really respect see and just because the people love this show man they love this show and the thing is like we're, we've gone a little bit long so I'm going to keep this short there is a version of the show in my head that I totally do love and it's the version where John Logan lets a few other writers come in and spice things up people who um, who can like take his fascinations and really help shape them into more compelling season long stories maybe with consistently great villainry and character traits that you can kind of rely on. Uh, and I feel like those people exist, especially in the TV world. And maybe he could open it up a little bit instead of writing every single episode himself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that, you know, with with the... You know, when you have one writer writing all every episode, I don't know what that pro- process is like. And, um, you know how freeing or limiting that can be. But I agree. There is a version of this show that I'm a diehard fan of. Unfortunately, it's not the version that we are currently getting. So maybe we'll get it next year. Maybe not in this universe quite yet. Quite yet. So what wins your week in genre and drama? <sighs> um, I will give it to rectify. Very nice. Very, very nice to have it back. And I hope people actually watch it this season. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be very nice. And I will co-sign on that. And honorable mention to Halt and Catch Fire uh, this week. And of course, uh, Hannibal. But as I've said before, you knew that Hannibal War goes to Hannibal. Um, outside of that, uh, definitely rectify and uh, and honorable mention to Halt and Catch Fire. So a few show notes here. You can find a post for this episode at soundinside.org or you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can hopefully soon, again, find us in iTunes where we should have an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. Um, we'd love for you to re- leave us a rating or review for us, but since you can't find us right now, uh, don't worry about it yet. Maybe next week. Hopefully next week I can request that. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook where you can like us to follow the Going Sound Outside TV and start up a conversation. And we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Simon. You are? At Sucker Howell. And what is our question of the week? My only question of the week is, why haven't you wished Kate a happy birthday yet? By the time <laughs> this episode gets out, you're fucking late. So just do it. Do it now. <laughs> You've heard it. Go on Twitter. At the Televerse, wish her a happy birthday. She only turns 30 once, and you already missed it. You should already feel bad, because you're bad, but you can make yourself slightly less bad by saying I will say, um, at least one of our listeners wished me a happy birthday early, and that's Mario. Uh, so, ah. so, so not all of our listeners uh, missed my birthday that they didn't know about. So, I, just, you know, I figured I'd throw that out there. Um, th- and thank you, Mario, of course. For your, your, you're lovely. And uh, all of our listeners are lovely over here at the Televerse. But now we're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back talking with Aiden Young and Jay Smith Cameron 
and uh, Abigail Spencer about this upcoming season of Rectify and sort of their 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 approach to the the series and you know what their what the process is like for them and then after that um simon and i will talk with my sister maggie about uh this year's comic-con television panels and coverage and what all to people can expect there so there's a lot more televers coming so we'll be right back after this First of all, congratulations to you guys for the Peabody. That's got to be very exciting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting. Yeah. Tangible. It's good to be there. It's good to be, because um, we all, you go up on stage and, and uh, only one person speaks from the show and Ray, this beautiful speech he dedicated the show to his mother and the award. And so we just stand up there because we know his family and there's so much, you know, we all feel like we've become extensions of Ray's psyche on some level. So to stand there and support him yeah. like that. And to be amidst that sort of, you know, group, group oh. of, of people, you know, to, who are out there telling these extraordinary stories. But really, you know, you can barely take one a month, you know, and <laughs> yeah. to have a night where it's just the next story. And I'm going, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at yeah. that. I'm going to look at that. I need to look at that. I want to look at that. I know. You know, to take something. The winners were all so inspiring. So incredibly difficult to, to hear or to, to be confronted by, and to be done so artistically and, and to, to, to reach people because yeah. of that. You know, it's, to be included in that group was a typo. <laughs> and, um, but one will happily accept, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, what has it been like for you guys? Because, I mean, it was interesting at the panel to hear that even for the first few episodes, maybe Sundance wasn't even necessarily a, quite aware of what the show was and, and what it was going to be. Uh, what was it like for you guys on set? Were you pretty quickly aware of how powerful a show that this could be? Or is it one of those where, especially because it's such an experiential show, there's so many directorial flourishes. How I have a strong memory. I don't know. You I, remember remember the moment. I remember I remember we, some of us had seen each other at the screen test, and some of us were at different screen tests or different meetings, whatever. But before we got we the met, yeah. yeah, we mm -hmm. met in, in Griffin. You hadn't landed yet. Right? You, had, you, you walked in the next day. Anyway, it was the night before the read-through. The tape was the first episode. And we met at some, there are not many long choices. We met at a Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> and we were all like jumping up and down and hugging each other immediately because we knew we had stumbled off onto this really fertile material that was totally unusual. Yeah. And it was like, pinch me. You know, like it was very, I'll never forget that. Uh, night. Yeah, I've never forgotten meeting everyone for the first time and just, and just the essence instant of everyone. Instant. Yeah, it was. See, you weren't there. You're right. You're right. We we had a tell story, and I thought he was there, and he wasn't. She tells right. me, and I start questioning my You went, you came in, and came in that day. day. You, you flew. Yeah, oh, so in that night later, I thought you were. Oh, you were three hours thinking about what you said. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, where was that? Three hours, hours and my hours away. That's a lot of money. <laughs> 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 I don't know. At least fourteen dollars. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I remember. I do. You're right. You came in that night, but um, I remember the moment because I I. It's interesting. I went to my representative and I said, "Listen, you guys, <laughs> like this. I I don't know why it wasn't. 
an intellectual thing. It was a total gut thing. I'm like, I'm telling you, I think this is the thing. I just think this is the thing. Well, I didn't know what the thing meant, but I felt like rectify was the thing. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the moment where I felt like that was solidified, and it was actually, um, it was in season one of, uh, episode one, season one, and it was probably our third or fourth day of shooting. And I, it had been a lot of Amantha scenes at the front. So I was, you know, on set, but working, and we were in, you know, it was fast and furious, and an emotional avalanche, and, and then I wasn't in a scene, and so I stayed on set and I watched these two have a scene. It's in the kitchen where you come to get a beer, and then she, and you're doing paperwork for the tire store, you're doing the, uh -huh. the books for the tire store, and he goes to get a beer and he already opens it and he went to get him a thing, yeah. and then you guys sit down and have this beautiful scene, just him opening up to her. and. I sat there and watched the whole thing, and I just, I, I was sobbing. You guys were in the other room, and I was just like, I, I turned to Ray and to Marshall and Melissa, who were there. I think Mark was there, too, and I just went, this is what we're doing? Oh, this is what we're doing? And I was just like, okay. You know, and then, and then the dread of just being like, I hope I'm not the sinking ship in the group because the work that they were doing was so <laughs> unbelievable, and I was like, I gotta up my, <laughs> gotta up my A train well, game, you know. <laughs> yes, this is the moment we brought Kate here to yeah. intervention. Intervention. <laughs> An action intervention. Yeah, Overacting intervention. I remember reading the pilot because you, there's a million pilots. Sometimes they even get made, but so like million pilots made that never get seen. Million shows picked up that don't get renewed, yeah. etc. Yeah. And you know, but so the number of pilots that you might that a, an actor might read mm -hmm. is just like my analogy for it is like how snakes lay thousands of eggs <laughs> and like three wriggle out. Yeah. You know, like it's like you know, so you get kind of jaded and you're like reading bees, snakes. <laughs> anyway, um, I remember reading it and being like, and my agent had said, read this one carefully, you know, like read this one. And I remember reading it, and just I was so struck that it starts. It starts with him getting out of jail, like that's right there, so bold to me. Yeah. Which you think about a well, five, five of them that starts with the guy getting out of death row, well, goes to a bar, screws the bartender, <laughs> sets a path of revenge. <laughs> well, they're all off. No, but I mean just the way this was told, like. The little, uh, con you know, the convoy of us going yeah. to the prison and, yeah. uh, and it was, it the, wasn't and us seeing and bursting into tears. I was just like completely struck. Like I had my jaw dropped. I was like, <gasps> we, I remember just being a page turn. Mm -hmm. And it is because the way that Ray writes between the dialogue, it's really where the show lives. I mean, it, that's her cue. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, Mark said it's like poetry, but even the, the way that things are described are bits of haiku and poetry and clues, setting the scene and the tone. I really enjoy the uh, space between the dialogue and the page. I will always look forward to that. Well, I loved at the panel your, your mention of the notion of there being lots of text that's just not spoken. Yeah. Um, and and even, like you say, the, the script is very, very poetic. It's very, it's so, it feels like pretty much every line is incredibly weighty, but with the way that you guys deliver it, it's such an actor-driven show, despite all these directorial flourishes, that You've managed to give the right layers and weight to these lines without making it feel pretentious, without making it feel yeah. over the top or, or dididactic. And That's the trap. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. Of it. Yeah. Because it, it, there's, a lot, there's a great deal happening. Mm -hmm. You know, and we know that there isn't going to be a release of, you know, the two fools by the river laughing, <laughs> you know, or, or the car chase or whatever right. it might be. We know that 
you know, the symphonic rhythm of the show can't be a drone. It can't be the same. We can't all suffer the same griefs. Yeah. All our griefs have to be unique. All our you know, joys, experiences have to be unique to the character. And only then do you begin to weave that you know, arrangement through the piece. Mm -hmm. um, but we are conscious of, of, of you know, that didactic horror zone with dialogue that can be I think one huge asset that, I mean, everyone keeps saying, but it's so true, is this is a very unusual thing where we have, you know, our showrunner, and that's just a, not enough of a term, our creator, Ray McKinnon, is so, uh, exercises such, con uh, you know, uh, quality control over the whole thing. It really is of a piece. It doesn't, even though we have guest directors, and they direct, but they, they're all through this one man's filter, and that 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 Sundance lets him do that, yeah. even though it's so kind of off the wall in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we're all getting used to it, but it's kind of an anomaly. The show. It's so responsible too. Like but that like that one person's vision is allowed yeah. to be really stated, even though it has its own pace and its own weird, yeah. very quirky. Like, you know, these two characters are, are very wry, and so is Ray. Like, they, you know, they they both have. Sort of different sides, the same coin of Ray's mm -hmm. sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Like it really shows that there is this auteur director yeah. really somehow miraculously being given a wide berth. Mm -hmm. That's just remarkable to me that it ever got on television. I always thought like uh, we've had some great partners. Like I feel like the cast has kind of become very responsible for projecting Ray's vision for the show. But we have a, a writer producer, Scott Teams, who's mm -hmm. joined Ray, and they made that evening fun several years. Ago, so we have him now who supports that, and Melissa Bernstein and Mark Johnson, who are who the are producers. They really just are there to protect Ray and protect us and protect the show. I mean, it's it's really cool. I mean, you can feel it. I've I've worked on a lot of different shows, and this is a very unique experience. Well, we get we get the time. You know, if you take an hour as the as the measure, you know, in that hour they'll light for maybe 20 minutes. You know, and so we've got 40 minutes to play with, you know, in that percentage. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, they're really giving us the stage to explore that story. Because Ray doesn't bring the, you know, he brings a blueprint. But he sort of lays it out and says, okay, how are we going to build it? Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a particular set of skills that over the years, you know, as an actor, you, you're able to, you know, hone and so forth. And a lot of time, you know, we talked about, you know, learning comes through great struggle and making mistakes and what have you. But, you know, we've all got to do crap occasionally. Yeah. Doing that crap, when you get to a place like here, you actually relax. Yeah. Because it's, it's oh, not. It's, just like it's good material. Yeah. You don't have to make, you know, as they say in Australia, you don't have to polish this turd. <laughs> you have to make it work. It either works or it doesn't. But you need to explore what it is that, that it it might be, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the 40 minutes that you have to really play. I mean, we are players after all, so Ray, let's and play. And we respond. Yeah. yeah, and I was riveted by what, how the, I mean, because even though we were talking about, we sh sh we'd just finished shooting a month ago, yeah. but I cannot remember. Yeah. What, I mean, that episode was, I, I mean, I was watching it totally, so totally, I know. What do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know. What's my straw? <laughs> With my IV. With <laughs> <laughs> my IV. With my Canadian. With my champagne on uh, it. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine 
it's, it's interesting to hear talk about the process. So then, is it do you guys do a lot of takes, or is it more free form? Like, what's the no, we do a lot of takes. just over yeah, and just over. really but in different sizes. It's over. not like we do it in one size over and over. We shoot the scene from multiple angles, and we and usually we start very wide, and we just keep refining as the scene yeah. keeps telling us what it wants it to be. And oftentimes you'll get to let's say there are ten setups in a scene. There's probably five or two cameras, but say you're on the you know seventh setup. And and Ray will come in and he might say, I, I don't want you to say that the whole thing at the beginning and cut that off there and don't walk from there to there. And you go, well, that means all that other stuff is going to be unusable. And he goes, I know. You and he's that ready because he's seen how it, you know, he's seen what, what you're, you've talked about. He's seen how to keep it away from that, you know. Oh, we're indulgent. We're we're now going to be telling you what we're doing and telling you the subject. For, for example, I think yeah. uh, what I was really amazed at in the stuff that was chosen out of all the exploration was like in the scene with Daniel and Ted Jr. How they were in the right when Ted Jr. comes up to him. We're not in a close-up. We're in a wide. Uh -huh. I thought that was so interesting. The use of wides on our show when we uh -huh. go to that. I think that actually keeps it out of the trap. Uh -huh. You know, and so we can feel that. I think what Ray is always trying to do is to get you, the audience, to feel more, to leave space so you can feel the most, that we're not taking all the feeling out of the room. And mm -hmm. that's a conversation that we have often. It also opens up the, the epic nature of it. That was there's a sequence with, with uh, Jay and I where, you know, a certain thing has to occur. And, and you remember when they shot the, the wide of that, Wait, wait, I it, 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 well, I can't say, but... It hasn't oh. happened yet? Not in this oh. yeah, season three. I don't want to give any... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, no, no. You know, when they... When they shot the wide, they went, well, I don't know why we have to go in, but... Well, you know, we'll cover it, but... It's not me. You just won't get away from that, mm -hmm. because it's two people in a landscape that is foreign to them trying to communicate when they can't. Mm -hmm. And so it's all communicated through their body, you know, and, and that, you know, now television's bigger than your fridge, you know, <laughs> people can see that again, and yeah. it's brought back the beauty of composition, you know, for years television was, okay, I've got to use teeth, I've got to know where to get them done, like, you know, and, but now it's starting to come back out to have a more, uh, to bring back that breath of cinema to it. That breath of wonder and the and the structure of confrontation, like you know Teddy and Daniel standing there, it's almost a western. At that oh point, my gosh! You know. It is a, you know, he's saying if you get me closer, I'm going to pull uh -huh. on you, you know, and and there's no guns or anything, but one of them's not going to come out of it alive, <laughs> you know. It's interesting with the uh, with the weight, and you talk about the feeling of it, and making sure the audience is feeling the right amount and that's not being absorbed by the other elements of the, uh, or, or diluted maybe by the other elements of the production. How do you guys work on making, because I, I, it must be exhausting, I can't imagine the, the, the level of emotional, like how draining it must be to give these performances. How do you make sure that you can sustain that through 10 takes? And then, so frequently there's all this uh, emotion and subtext that needs to be conveyed to the audience, but 
needs to be maybe believably missed by the other people in the scene? And how do you convey that without making your character seem foolish? Or that's, the, that's the trick. That's what that's we're trick. trying to do. That's, that's the question. Yeah, that's the, that's, the, that's the responsibility. But we ask the question. I think that the awareness of what you said is the first step in uh -huh. trying to tell that observation that's right on yeah. point because that's the whole dilemma okay. there is no answer to no it <laughs> there's just an just awareness try every day yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah. that and but the, to the exhaustive element of it you know huh? I think it's incredibly satisfying I mean I have no attachment to how the show rectified turns out in relation to my performance I I mean I can't even remember it's like I feel like I just want to leave it all there I want to be just totally I just want to leave it all there, and and that's kind of actually taken me three seasons to realize that that I'm very invested in just giving it all, and then being able to kind of again too we go back to to Ray or, or having someone the very strong vision at the top sort of sorting it out because a lot of that is in the editing too yeah. because there might be you know a moment where Teddy has realizes an impact of something someone said and then when we cut back to the other character we see that he or she didn't notice it. You know, so it's yeah. you know, it's it's also editing is it's a collaborative it's you know. a huge part of how the story is giving us a sort of one minute. Oh uh, yeah. well, okay. Like no that's that's okay. fine. You, should, you guys should carry a little something. If they don't take note of the first question, then the hook doesn't come up. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fine. Well, then I guess. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. I don't know. I mean, I think the conversation is just we're just having the conversation. You know, it's just a work in progress. Ray leads with the I don't know, but this is what I. This that's is my goal. Taste, you know, yeah. this is my taste and. Actually, in, in episode six of season three, I kind of presented a question of like, because we talk about so much restraint, and, uh -huh. and it is so emotional, and yet there's so much restraint, and I was like, why? I just kind of was like, why? What if, you know, finally, I'm like, can you tell me why at this moment? And not because I'm on board, but can we just break down the why? Because I actually am totally on board with yeah. that. That's when I'm watching something, and I'm like, oh, they just took... They just gave it to me, so yeah. I didn't have to feel anything. They they weren't patient enough to let me go along, so they just took all the tension out of the scene. And so it was cool, you know. In episode uh -huh. six, you guys, it was my it was my last scene, uh, and and they had wrapped Ari for that day, and 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 I had another scene with with Luke Kirby, and we just had the conversation about why, you know, and and. And, and what was interesting is after that conversation, Ray kind of came into the scene with a little bit of a fresh perspective of like, why do I? Why am I so attached to that? So let, maybe let's explore well, outside. This funny thing that happens. I'm sure it's happened to all of you. I mean, to, to both of you, and because uh, it seems like everyone's always talking about it. You come in and you're you and you and you see the scene is very emotional and ripping. You know, like you just feel ripped up inside. And so he's like, okay, you know, you're, you're you've got to. You know, restrain all that. We don't want you know. Just hold that back. You don't want them to see that. I'm like, okay. And then you spend the next hour trying to do the scene that way. And he's like, you know, you're really upset. You're where? You know, like you're not upset enough. And you're like, okay. And you're like, okay. You know. And then it goes back and forth until it whittles this thing where I was trying to say it when we were in the panel discussion, where you're like right on the brink, like you're full up but not spilling over. Mm -hmm. Is the sort of Razor's Edge. Well, yeah. The drama is when the, when the audience cries, not, not the actors. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. true. Although we do a lot of crying on our show. We're a leaky <laughs> We are a leaky, leaky. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm looking for that. 
I don't know, just looking for the humor in all of it, too. I mean, the absurdity of it, too. The absurdity, know? that's the better word. I think that, that if anything was to find the difference between our show and the next family mm -hmm. show, because there's a great deal of family shows yeah, out there, you know, but the difference between our show and, and some of those those other family shows is that we we fail to see each other mm -hmm. exactly as you asked. Mm -hmm. We fail to to meet each other in that moment deliberately. Yeah, and when we do, it is so satisfying if someone yeah. gets seen or someone makes a connection. It's like yeah. a huge thank God. You we know? are like humans, you know, just close to them. But yeah, not we're, quite. We're, we're like you know that we we. We are uh -oh. full of flaws, and, you know, the, a family's always going to be a mind child, you know, and at death row, you know, times that by 17, you know, a missing father and a returned ghost. A replacement child. You've got one out of a shell in your hands, you know. I, somebody asked me, what's the market of this show? I said, anyone with a heart. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. Well, that was my chat with the cast of Rectify. And again, you can watch Rectify Thursdays um, at 10 Eastern on Sundance TV. Uh, and as we said earlier in the show, we uh, the Televerse endorses <laughs> Rectify and specifically Rectify Season 3. So we hope you guys will check it out. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week, it's time for our Comic-Con preview, which is an insane amount of work. And yet I do it every year because Comic-Con is a lot of fun. And there's an insane amount of content, uh, TV-related content, every year. And it grows just a little bit more every year. This year, um, spicing things up, like last year, very exciting, uh, returning to the podcast is my fabulous sister, Maggie. Maggie, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Yes, uh... Simon hates Comic-Con, as it's been well-established. Just, like, the theory of it, it's just it's not a Simon place. Um, however, last year was your first year at, at Comic-Con, um, and you're excited to be back. I am excited to be back, and I want to know if uh, Simon also hates Christmas. Um, I don't hate Christmas, but I do hate weddings. Yeah, that's okay, though. Is it allowed? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Comic Con is the Christmas of, of nerdery, I would say, of, of oh, yes. pop culture nerdery. And this year, there's a lot of, of TV content. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go through all the different TV panels that are going on. We're going to go day by day. We're going to each read off of, you know, we'll trade off saying the different panels that are going on. And then at the end of the day, uh, we'll say, you know, this is all the Thursday content. What would we want to see? What are we most excited about? And then mm -hmm. we'll we'll wrap up with a little closing statement, I guess, at the end, kind of looking at what what it looks like 
any trends are what we're most excited about for Comic-Con this year. Or if, if we're Simon, what we would like to teleport in for what one thing and then teleport out for. Is there anything? Right. Do you think? Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. There's, yeah. there's usually something, but yeah, yeah not a lot. <laughs> so anyways, let's kick it off. Uh, who's going to take Wednesday preview night? Who wants to, who wants to start things off for us? Uh, I guess I'll I'll go through it, but I, I have a question first. Did you see anything good last year? At at Comic Con? I mean at Once the last preview, preview night. night. Oh, preview night. Um well they were supposed to show iZombie and then they had to take it out to retool it, so um they didn't actually screen it, but I would have if they had shown iZombie last year. That's pretty weak. So you would have seen one passable pilot. Oh no, I did see I, I think the Flash. I think they did oh, they okay. show the Flash pilot last year. There was a lot of Flash content, so I, okay. either it was like a trailer or are you saying it's there was foggy. a lot of flashing, Kate? There was a lot of something at Comic Con <laughs> last year, uh, but you know, to steal the parlance, what happens stays at all of that. So this year, at preview screenings on Wednesday night. Oh, also, we should mention there's a new new location for Comic Con this year, which is the San Diego Central Library, and there is a there's a talk happening on Wednesday at the library. So there is additional non-Ballroom 20, non-Preview Night content related to Comic-Con that is happening this year for the first time. Um, we're not It's not TV-related, so we're not going to talk about it. But, interesting, there, if you're not interested in these pilots, and why wouldn't you be? Simon will tell us why. Uh, maybe <clears> you want to go to the San Diego Public Library on Wednesday. But, but Simon, what are the pilots this year? All right. Well, first up is Supergirl which uh, I guess is part of the ever-expanding Greg Berlanti cinematic universe. So, I mean, that guy's just rolling in it at this point. And does everyone remember, uh, I think it was about two months ago, around the, the release of Avengers 2, when SNL did one of their okay things that they do once every season, uh, where they had the, the fake Black Widow movie trailer, and then the Supergirl trailer came out like a week later, and everyone was like, um, those are the same. <laughs> Um, I think that sums up my excitement level for this project. Um, I've not heard great things from the people who have seen that pilot, but you, 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 who knows? The 100 pilot I really didn't like at Comic-Con, and then um, I ended up really liking parts of that show. So maybe we'll see what happens. Anyway, so they're, they're Supergirl, they're screening. What else are they screening? Uh, next up is Blindspot, um, starring Sullivan Stapleton, uh, Strike Back, yes? Yes, Strike Back. That's him? They, they, they credit him here with 300, Rise of an Empire, and that is foolish at Comic-Con, and everywhere he should be known from Strike Back. Oof, that's like crediting Eva Green for 300, Rise of an Empire. Yes. Uh, Crazy Anyway, uh, a one-hour action thriller, uh, another Greg Berlanti series uh, from Berlanti Productions. Uh, oh, right, this is the one with Jane Doe, uh, who is covered in tattoos, oh. and the tattoos have a mystery... But the mystery isn't how to break out of jail. I'm confused. This one has uh, Rob Brown from Treme. It has some other um, interesting people. But um, yeah, I'm not super excited about that one. I did like Jamie Alexander in Thor and when she showed up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last year. But I'm not very excited about this one. Maggie, do you have any thoughts on this one? No, I mean, I just saw the ads for it. And I was like, oh, gosh, she has tattoos all over her body. We're going to have to have a lot of shots of her naked body. You know, I mean, it's just, like, come on, guys. It's, yeah. I mean, maybe there's more than that, but that was my first impression. We'll see. So well, I, We do know that Sullivan Stapleton is good at action, and I'm sure he will play a decent, hardened FBI agent. Um, but I'm really tired of conspiracy shows at this point. That's where I'm at with it. 
Any other thoughts, Simon, or shall, what's the, or if not, what's the next one? Uh, no. Next one is containment, uh, which is yet another uh, apocalyptic epidemic. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, series, I think. Uh, Spartacus alumni. Uh, although, frankly, I can never remember who who did what on Spartacus except for the leads. If we're being totally honest, based on a Belgian series, which is honestly the most interesting thing about it. Uh, yeah, Julie Plex involved, which could be good or could not be. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just really tired of pandemic stories. Yes, Julie Pleck is involved. We should also mention David Nutter, who is a quite accomplished director as well. Um, there are some interesting creatives behind this, but yeah, not you know, who knows. But how many shows this year, Simon, have had a terrible sounding premise that actually ended up being good? So who knows? Maybe maybe I should be more excited about that one because it has a less interesting premise than these other shows. Uh, well, I mean, if we're going by worst premise leads into best show then I think we should probably be most excited about Lucifer, which, if I understand this correctly, and I have read about this before, this is a police procedural starring Satan, basically. That's that's literally basically the entire premise. With with his piano bar. Oh, oh my god. And the fact that it, that it includes the phrase sexy, dark, and irreverent. Like, very few things are all three of those things. Yeah, certainly the ones that pitch themselves as those are even less likely to be those three things. Anyway, so that is the last of the pilots that is airing. And then they're going to also air some Teen Titans Go like they always do. Um, what I will be doing, yeah, I might check out part of that. We'll see how our, our afternoon, evening goes, Maglar. Uh, but then at the same, at a certain point, the, the, the floor opens up and that's where I will be. I will be walking the floor and checking out all the displays when there isn't the claustrophobic crowd surrounding, you know, everything that there will be on Thursday through Sunday. So that's what I'm more excited about on Wednesday. How about you, Meg? Um, I mean, yeah, I definitely want to hit the um, artist alley. Just check out all of the artwork and all the different graphic novels and everything they have because um, I think that's really interesting to see what's out there. So mostly doing that. We need to start our first full day of programming, so we're going to go to Thursday and kicking things off. Um, Maglar, if you if you would, what are our first few handfuls of panels on Thursday? Okay, so Thursday we start at 10 a.m. in room 6A with Amazon Hand of God. Um, also at the same time at 10 a.m. is Behind the Music, Crime, Death, and Resurrection. So also at 10 is um, the Buffy Effect, Teen Heroines, Then and Now. At 10.30, there is um, Reimagining the Very Best of Battlestar Galactica for a New Generation, the host Richard Hatch. And then we also have at 10.45, in Ballroom 20, they have the Autobiography of James C. Kirk by William Shatner. So he's going to be there reading the Autobiography of James C. Kirk as Kirk. Um, so, I mean, that looks like that's going to be... A lot of fun. Yeah, he didn't write it, but he's going to be there in character reading it. And I think that's kind of just insane and hilarious. Yeah. What, yeah. Any thoughts on that, Simon? Uh, that sounds like, I mean, nothing about that is surprising to me, considering he, Shatner, for a very long time, has had a an extremely canny sense of self-promotion. And that, that seems to fall in very well with his persona. Well, what could be you know surprising is that it hasn't happened yet, maybe. But, yes. Yeah, that's pretty great. Better uh, late than never. Yeah. In the next hour, we have at 11.15 to 12.15 and 6A, we have the player sneak preview, or sneak peek screening um, and Q&A. This is the new Wesley Snipes show. 
Um, and this has, also has Philip Winchester, the other guy from Strike Back. Um, so they're going to screen the pilot and have a quick Q&A. Then in 1130 to 1230 in 24 ABC, they have Taming the Web, the Nuts, nuts and Bolts of Web Series creation. So they're going to have some uh, people who, who create and star in web series to talk about how that goes. Uh, 12 to 1 in 7 AB, Robert Kirkman's Skybound Comics. Um, and then at 12 to 3.30 in Ballroom 20, CBS is taking over. So they have this massive block uh, of programming where they're going to bring people in from Extant, Limitless, Scorpion, Under the Dome, and Zoo. Oh, Zoo. We'll talk about, we already talked about Zoo. Uh, but <laughs> Zoo. yeah, so people who will be there, uh, Halle Berry, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, they're going to have James Wolk and Billy Burke, Mark Helgenberger, uh, Mike Vogel, Dean Norris. They're going to have a bunch of people there for all, for all these different, um, shows. Kat McPhee, I'm sure with, with the newfound success of Smash going to Broadway, I'm sure everybody will have many questions for Kat McPhee. Um, but yeah, there's, so there's, they'll have a, you know, one after another, these different CBS properties, um, in ballroom 20 for three and a half hours. I'm not very interested in those. So I plan on taking a rain check. I'm much more interested in 1230 to 130 room 6A return to gravity falls. Alex Hirsch is going to be there talking about the, uh, the previous season and previewing, I'm sure things to come from there. Simon, uh, take, take us forward. What, what's happening in the one, two, three range? All right, uh, 145 in 6A is The Last Ship uh, with Rona Mitra, Eric Dane, and Adam Baldwin. Um, all right, uh, next up at 2 to 3 in Room 25 ABC, Nobody's Damsel writing for Tomorrow's Women. Uh, that sounds right up someone I know's alley. Uh, 2 to 3, The New TV Land at the Indigo Ballroom. Michael Ian Black will be there uh, as well as some others. Alison Brie. Uh, oh, yes, Alison Brie. I missed that somehow. Um, 215 to 315 in Hall H, Doctor Who, BBC America's official panel with Peter Capaldi, making his first ever appearance at Comic-Con. Uh, Jenna Coleman and Michelle Gomez will also be there, along with your buddy, Stephen Moffat. Uh, next up in room four at 230, Titan Comics, Assassin's Creed, Heroes, The Blacklist, and the creator-owned Hits of Tomorrow. Uh, three to four in room 6A, Powers, uh, which is on the PlayStation series, which uh, somehow Kate, Kate and I have never discussed at all. Uh, it kind of came and went. Remember when that was going to be a huge thing? Anyway, uh, three to four, room 5AB, uh, Transformers, Robots in Disguise on the, uh, I assume, cartoon series. Yes, it's on the Cartoon Network uh, cartoon series. 330 to 430, 24ABC, the TV animation story editors and head writers panel. Uh, then at 3.30 to 4.30, room 6 BCF, Robert Kirkman's Skybed Entertainment. 3.45 to 4.45, Stephen Moffat again, uh, with with Sue Vertu and Rupert Graves to discuss Sherlock. And that's in Ballroom 20. Sorry, Ballroom 20, yes. Uh, 3.45 to 5.15, Con Man, the fan... Oh, right, yes, the Con Man movie that's being crowdfunded, I assume, got funded in like seven minutes. Uh, Alan Tudyk, Nathan Fillion, and a whole bunch of other people, which you may need to list. Um, four to five, Indigo Ballroom, Comedy Central's Moonbeam City, which I, apparently is yet another new original Comedy Central series. Oh, no, it's back. It was at Comic-Con last year. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah. I, th I feel like this is one that people don't know about. Would you read the description? Because it's pretty entertaining. And I have never seen any of it, but I feel like I should have. Well, it's, got, it's already got a great title. Um, an absurdist retrofuturistic retro 80s cop extravaganza. Follows Dazzle Novak, voiced by Rob Lowe, a handsome, idiotic detective who commits more crimes than most criminals. 
His sexy, tyrannical chief, Pizzazz Miller, <laughs> voiced by Elizabeth Banks, won't get off his back. Uh, his obnoxious rival, Rad Cunningham, voiced by Will Forte, will stop at nothing to destroy him. Uh, you get the idea. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, it's one of those shows that I don't know if, like, I don't know if, if watching it will ever live up to just reading the character names for the first time, but I'm, I'm already glad it exists. Um, 4 to 5 p.m., room 5AB, Destination America's Ghost Asylum. Uh, 4 to 5 p.m. in room 23, ABC, Star Trek. They're not really dead as long as we remember them. So obviously remembering Nimoy and uh, I assume other people from the Star Trek universe who have departed. One more. 4 to 30 to 530, room 24, ABC, Thunderbirds are go. It's a Thunderbirds panel. Yes, that is, that is actually a show. Thunderbirds are go. So, um, yeah. We've got Richard Taylor will be there as uh, one of the executive producers. Of course, people know his work from the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films. Um, and it's got the red uh, head writers from Teen Titans, which, as I know, uh, has a lot of fans out there. So I have no interest in a Thunderbird show, but I'm sure there's someone at Comic-Con who will. Uh, Maggie, why don't you take over? What's what's next uh, up in Ballroom 20? At 5 o'clock, they have MTV's Teen Wolf. And then at 6, there's the LGBTQ Geek Year in Review in Room 28DE. Okay, it's 6 to 7. They also have Miami Vice, the 30th Anniversary Retrospective in Room 29AB. 6 to 7.30 in the Indigo Ballroom is Comedy Central, Drunk History and Another Period. Louder. At 6.45 to 7.45 in Room 6A, there's Damien. And from 7 to 8 in Room 7AB, Power Rangers, Dino Charge Unleashed, Behind the Suit. Before we move any for any further, though, I do feel like after we gave a hard, bit of a hard time to Lucifer, I feel like we should mention the quick thing for Damien. This is from Glenn Mazzara, and it's about Damien from The Omen when he's grown up, unaware that he's the Antichrist. People just keep dying around him, um, and he kind of he figures out as I'm guessing a sexy uh, late teen, early twenty something that he's the Antichrist. But what if that were a comedy? That would be hilarious. That be fun. That could see, be fun. But see, that premise does not sound one one hundredth as immediately awful as Lucifer. It's it's definitely not a good premise. But at least I can see a version that's good. Fair Maybe. enough. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's up next, Meg? Right from seven fifteen to eight fifteen in room six B C F. Dark matter. 20... And that's the that's the sci fi show, not just you know dark matter as a concept, which I could see right. you doing a panel at a comic con. Yeah, but, of course. But that's the show. Yeah, I'm not. Um, then seven thirty to eight thirty in room twenty four A B C Robotech. The next thirty years in room seven A B from eight to nine p m. Cartoon. Oh, oh yes, oh yes. We know where Maggie's gonna be. Let's slow it down. Cartoon Network Adventure Time Royal, Royal Ball. And you went Whoa. to this last year. Oh, I did go to this last year. It was a lot of fun. They screened the, um, gosh, the si life cycle. I forget the exact title. I might oh, be yeah, the yeah. chain. The food, cha food chain. Food chain. And also, um, <laughs> also they had a Princess Day, right? This yeah. Princess yeah. Day. So, yeah, no, a lot of fun, really good vibes, yes. Um, then 8 to 9 p.m. in room 28 DE. Larry Nemechek's Trekland 2015 Losses, Rumors, and Birthdays Edition. Okay, and then 8 to 9 p.m. in room 25 ABC, The Psychology of Cult TV Shows, Episode 2. Ooh, and that one will have Jane Espenson, so that's fun. 
Um, 8.15 to 10 p.m., room 6DE, Dominion. And 8.30 to 10 p.m., room 6BCF, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Join the fun. Yes, that's a uh, sing-along They in the style of um, Rocky Horror. They encourage noise and uh, humor and other such things. And apparently they're going to have uh, costume contests and everything like they do at the Adventure Time Royal Ball. So. Oh, yes. So let's look at Thursday then here. Uh, let's pull up our, our charts that I made because I'm insane. Uh and Maggie, would you like to go first? What is your assuming the ability to teleport between uh, rooms and not have to wait in line? What is what? How would you structure your Thursday? Just gonna say, if you are going, don't assume that power because it's just gonna be frustrating. But if we are to get in that headspace, um, I'd go to the autobiography of James T. Kirk because it just sounds like, if anything, just to see him do that voice, man. You know, sounds like that'd be a lot of fun. Um. Let me see. After that, uh, I guess going to the uh, voiceover celebration at 12. Then I think it would be interesting to go to the Star Trek. They're not really dead as long as we remember them um, in light of Nimoy, but, you know, the other cast and just the impact that it has. I don't, I'm not a real big um, original Star Trek follower. I like more TNG, but so that sounds like that would be really interesting. Um, the next after that, of course, the most dangerous women in Comic-Con, the good, the bad, and the deadly. And after that, of course, um, I'd like to go to the Adventure Time Card Wars dramatic reading at the Horton Grand. Yeah, we didn't talk about that one. That's, um, they're going to, they're, some of the cast will be doing a reading of, uh, of a, I think it's a, a comic or something. I'm not exactly sure what Card Wars is, but... There will be a dramatic reading of it. It will be dramatic. <laughs> at the Horton Grand. Yes. And that requires a separate ticket that you get individually. It's free, but you have to get a ticket ahead of time for that one. And if I could split myself and be in two places at once, I'd also like to check out the LGBTQ Geek Year in Review. That sounds like that'd be really interesting, too. Um, and then finally, um, I'd like to go to the Dr. Horrible's, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog as well. <gasps> but I couldn't. Because I'd be at the Royal Time, Royal Ball for Adventure Time. Unless I could be two places at once, then okay. it'd be fine. Fair enough, Simon. What uh, what about this day looks of interest to you? Oh, a big one that I'm noting that apparently I missed in my collating is that there's a Sense Eight panel, which is incidentally the only thing I really want to see. <laughs> <laughs> really? Fair enough. Okay. No Adventure Time. Come on, tell your friends. Um, I I love Adventure Time. I have absolutely no desire to be surrounded by Adventure Time fans. But I would be one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Did I just change your mind? The judgmental look on, on Maggie's face right then was pretty spectacular. <laughs> um, so for me, I, I would start the day with the Buffy effect, teen heroines, and then and now, because I like listening to authors talk about uh, their inspirations. I think that could be fun. Um, then teleport over to catch the second half of James T. Kirk. Um, just for fun, for funsies, then maybe get a late breakfast or go to you know, Gravity Falls, Gravity Falls in uh, 6A, then uh, Nobody's Damsel, like you said, Simon, right up my alley, uh, and I really don't care about getting into Doctor Who at this point, so that no, makes no, that decision easy for me. Uh, maybe check out Moonbeaten City in Indigo, just because, you know, I feel like I should have seen it. I definitely want to see Sense8 in room 5AB, that's at 5 to 6. 
um, again, in 5AB. Then uh, LBGTQ, Geek and Re uh, Year in Review, and uh, I would wrap things up with Maggie at the Adventure Time Royal Bell, except that I'll be at the meetup with the Battleship Pretension Criterion cast and Warner Archive guys, 8 to 10, at uh, the Bootlegger in instead. So I don't know. She wants me to go to at least part of it. She got, she's working the puppy dog eyes, but um, that's where I'm planning to be. Okay. That takes us then to Friday. Um, and I guess I'll kick things off. And that Friday for me is all about the Indigo Ballroom. Um, and that's the first one we have listed here. 10 to 11 in, in the Indigo Ballroom is Cartoon Network's regular show and Uncle Grandpa. Also at 10 and 11 in Ballroom 20, inside the Big Bang uh, Theory Writer's Room. They had that panel last year and they're back this year. 10 to 11, similarly, Everyone 25 ABC, Nickelodeon, Dark Horse, Comics, Avatar The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra. I know some, some Comic-Con fans will be very excited about that. Um, and they're going to have Mike DiMartino and Brian... Uh, I never know how to say his name. Kaniesco? Question mark? Um, anyways, also at 10 to 11, Behind the Music, Sci-Fi uh, Thrills and Chills. 10.30 to uh, 11.30, we have Edgar Rice Burroughs' Worlds of Adventure. Sorry, Behind the Music was 23 ABC, and this Ed Edgar Rice Burroughs' Worlds of Adventure is in room 8. Then 10.30 to 11.30, My Little Pony in, in room 6A. I feel like that would be funsies just because of, of the bronies. 10.30 to 11.30, room 24, ABC, writing for TV from first draft to getting staffed. And uh, and then uh, 11.15 to 12.15 in Ballroom 20s is Falling Skies, The Final Farewell. The show's wrapping up, so it's their last panel. It's got Noah Wiley, Moon, Bloodgood, Andrew Roy, among others. 11.30 to 12.30 in Room 6BCF is the Lucifer Pilot screening, in case you missed it, on, on uh, preview night. Or you could see it twice. Or, you or in case you want to see it again. Yeah, mm -hmm. the the I ended up seeing several pilots. I saw half of the Constantine pilot like three times at Comic Con last year. Um, anyways, eleven uh, forty five till twelve forty five in room six A is Nickelodeon's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and I'm now I'm going to pass the baton. So so Simon, what's up next starting at noon on Friday? All right, noon uh, to one room twenty nine A B Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge, which is a sci fi competition show, reality competition show. Uh, after that, 12 to 1 in Hall H, uh, AMC's The Walking Dead, with many people from The Walking Dead. It will be insane. Uh, many, many people will be there, I assume. Uh, 12, 15 to 1 at Indigo, um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force Forever, which I guess is what it's called now, and Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which sadly I did try to watch and didn't like. Uh, same people who did, uh, Too Many Cooks, but I don't, it doesn't really work for me. Uh, 12.30 to 1.30, Room 60E, MTV's The Shannara Chronicles. Uh, 1230 to 1.30 in Ballroom 20, the, the 100 special video presentation and Q&A. I don't know what special video presentation means, like a featurette sort of thing, I guess. Uh, is that usually what that means? It, it means, sometimes it means an episode, sometimes it means, like, a gag reel, so it depends on where they are in the production schedule. Um, usually... If, if it's a fall show, they will have, like, just started filming, so they might have, like, an action scene from from the premiere that they can show. Uh, it depends. That just means they won't necessarily show a full episode. Okay. Let's get through a few more. Uh, 1 to 2 in Room 29AB, from novel to comic to film, turning books into other forms of pop culture. Uh, 1 to 2 in Room 6A, Teen Titans Go! video presentation once more, if you missed it the first time on night one. And uh, lastly for me, 1 to 2 p.m., uh, AMC's Fear the Walking Dead with the cast, including Kim Dickens, who we love. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess if you're if you're super stoked for that, uh, th th go to that. Yeah. 
I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> Eat the All right. Mic, 115 to 2 in the Indigo Ballroom, Adult Swim. 145 to 245 in Ballroom 20, Minority Report. 2.15 to 3 p.m. Indigo Ballroom. They're going to have Adult Swim, Mike Tyson Mysteries. 2.15 to 3.15 in Room 6A, Amazon, The Man in the High Castle. 2.30 to 3.30 in Hall H. Oh, man, Game of Thrones panel and Q&A session. I bet you have some questions you'd like to ask. <laughs> they don't want my questions. They don't want her questions. <laughs> yeah. 2.30 to 3.30 in room 24 ABC is Lost in Space, 50th anniversary. Uh, from 3 to 4 in room 23 ABC, Viz Media Ultraman, um, with, the, you know, it's apparently the first international appearance of the creators or two of the people involved with uh, with Ultraman. Um, 3 to 4.15, Marvel Television Presents. Uh, this is the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter panel that, that they're doing with Jeff Loeb. 3.15 to 4 in, adults, uh, in Indigo is the Adult Swim Robot Chicken panel, with, which will have the creators there. Uh, 3.30 to 4.30 in Room 6A is History's Vikings. They usually have some cool stuff. Last year they had the Viking ship and everything. It was pretty cool. 4 to 5 in Indigo is Bob's Burgers, with a bunch of the voice cast as well as some of the executive producers. 4 to 5 in Hall H Entertainment Weekly, Brave New Warriors. Um, so they are going to have Zach Levi, Sam Hagen, uh, Jordan Gavaris, Kevin Duran, uh, Rob Kaczynski, and Michael Cudlitz. So a lot of people we really like um, at that panel. 4.15 to 5.15 in 6DE is DC Entertainment from page to screen. 4.30 to 5.30 in 5AB is the MTV's Scream uh, panel. Also at 4.30 to 5.30 in Ballroom 20, the Originals special video presentation and Q&A. Also at 4.30 to 5.30 in Room 6, BCF, Colony, the USA Network series from Carlton Q's. Um, they'll have Josh Holloway and Sarah Wayne Callies there as well as some others. 4.45 to 5.45 and 5AB is Sense 8. Oh, I put it on the wrong day. That's why. Um, so my bad. That's on Friday, not Thursday. That's with J. Michael Straczynski. 5 to 6 in Indigo is Archer. And that, uh, that's going to have the voice cast for that. And also at 5 to 6 in is ASIFA, Hollywood, and the State of the Industry. And 5 to 6 in five, 25 ABC, science fiction that will change your life. And this is going to have some interesting panelists as well, including Jane Espenson and Javier Grillo Marswash, who we you know really enjoy. Um, 545 to 645, Ballroom 20 has the iZombie special video presentation and Q&A with Rose McIver, Rob Thomas, and Diane Ruggiero-Wright. 545 to 645 and 6 BCF. And seriously, Comic-Con, stop doing this. It needs to be in Ballroom 20. This is Orphan Black, um, with Maslani, Jordan Gavaris, Maria Doyle Kennedy, Dylan Bruce, Christian Brune, Ari Millen. It's going to be insane. They're they're going to cut off the line at least an hour ahead of time. This needs to be in Ballroom 20, and it's crazy talk that it's not. Anyways, that's Orphan Black. Uh, what what are our last few panels here, Simon? Wait, wait. iZombie is happening at the same time in the bigger room? Yes. This seems wrong. Yes, it does. Because it is. Uh, anyway... Um, 7 to 8, Room 23 ABC, Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum, and Star Trek Bridge Restoration, uh, which you'll know if you want to go to that. Uh, 8 to 9, uh, Room 7 AB, Cartoon Network's Clarence and Friends Pajama Party. Uh, once again, you'll know if that's up your alley just by me saying that combination of words. 8 to 9 p.m., Room 29 AB, uh, the Aquabat Super Show, what happens next? Uh, so that's the end of Saturday. That's the end of Friday. That's the end of Friday. Oh, Jesus. Okay. So, Maggie, what looks good about Friday? I would start with 
Nickelodeon and Dark Horse Comics, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that with my kids this year, so that would be cool to see. Uh, you should say you're a teacher. I teach second bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> I teach second grade bilingual, so my kids really got into comics this year, and I showed them Korra, and we had they really enjoyed it. We had fun, so I'd like to see that. Um, apart from that, uh, the Cartoon Network, Adventure Time, and Steven universe in the indigo ballroom um after that i would like to see jim henson jim henson's creature shop challenge on the off chance that i could see some cool costuming and creatures that'd be interesting then i'd like to see the orphan black bbc america official panel that sounds like a lot of fun and the cast will be there so that's cool okay simon how about you um okay I would definitely show up to heckle the Game of Thrones panel. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to be there, I got to at least try. Um, I mean, it's mostly just stuff I would want to heckle, like the Lucifer screening and Game of Thrones. I don't, I like Game of Thrones, but I would still heckle them. Uh, Orphan Black. There to support or heckle? Uh, oh, support. I would never heckle Orphan Black. Um, I hate that. Ar- I mean, Archer and Orphan Black are at the same time, which doesn't seem legal. Uh, well, we'll so get yeah, to that. That's a bit it. of a Sophie's choice for me, right? Because you've been to Archer before, but it's super fun. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I think I would probably opt for Archer just because di- I I need to see H. John Benjamin's beautiful face. So I uh, start the day off in Indigo uh, because Adventure Time. So you know clearly, and and if you want, if one is interested in getting into Adventure Time, one needs to be there for the panel before it um, to ensure that you'll get in. At least that's how I am with it. Then and also the people who go to the Indigo Ballroom are always really creative and fun. So there's lots of really cool costumes and everything. Then hop over to Six A for Amazon's uh, Man in the High Castle. I'm intrigued if they're going to show something new for that, or at least uh, get a sense of their, the direction that they're taking. And Frank Spotnitz is going to be there, um, who people will know, of course, from the, his all his work in the X Files. So that could be that could be interesting. Then um, I would need to split myself because once again, and the, last year Hannibal was at the same time as all these. So it was actually worse last year, but Bob's Burgers and Archer, I would love to see. And I would also love to see Orphan Black. And I would also love to see science fiction that will change your life. Because if Jane Espenson and Javier Guillermo-Swatch want to tell me what some really great science fiction is, I want to listen. And yet. So I... If only you could clone yourself. Yeah, I feel like that could lead to some issues. And I feel like the Orphan Black panel would enlighten enlighten me on those. But um, anyway, so that's what stands out to me. Uh, for for Friday, so let's take it to uh let's take, let's move on to Saturday, which is uh the biggest day at, at the fest, and there's a lot of TV. So we're gonna this is gonna be a lightning round, listeners, um through Saturday, and we're only gonna mention something besides the title and the location if it's particularly necessary. But uh, so Maggie, what's happening on Saturday? Mm-hmm. Um, from 10 to 11 a.m. in room 6A. Are you ready, kids? Nickelodeon's SpongeBob SquarePants speaks for itself. 10 to 11 in room 25 ABC. Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend and Legacy. 10 to 11, room 7AB. My book is a movie slash TV show. Now what? 10 to 11 in the Indigo Ballroom, Last Man on Earth. 10 to 11, room 29AB, Land of the Lost Reunion. 10 to 10.45 in ballroom 20, Once Upon a Time. 10.30 to 11.30 in room 5AB, Into the Badlands. 10.30 to 11.30, room 
6 BCF, Marvel Animation Presents, 11 to 11.45, Ballroom 20, the TV Guide Magazine Fan Favorites. It's going to be moderated by senior writer Damien Holbrook, and we are going to see panelists including David Anders from iZombie, Yvette Nicole Brown from The Odd Couple. From Community. <laughs> from Community. Okay. Wendy McLendon Covey from The Goldbergs, Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead, Eliza Taylor from The 100, Ming Na Wen from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones. Okay, is it just me, or did Eliza Taylor jump the queue a little bit? Uh, the people who like The 100 really like The 100. I know, but anyway. Sorry, I'm... I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm just excited that M Wendy McLendon, uh, McLendon Covey is going to be at Comic-Con. That's pretty exciting for me. That is pretty cool. 11 to 12 in the Indigo Ballroom, Childhood's End. Uh, 11 to 12 in room 23 ABC, Today's Costume Designers. Oh, that sounds fun. Uh, 11.15 to 12.15, room 6A, blind spot, pilot screening, and Q&A. 11.30 to 12.30, room 24 ABC, inside the writer's room, the pilot, part 1. 11.30 to 12.30, room 5AB, monster high panel. <clears throat> Lightning round, lightninger now. 12 to 12.45, The Simpsons in ballroom 20. 12 to 1, 12 monkeys, the series, at the Indigo Ballroom. 12 to 1, room 7AB, uh, Sci-Fi sci Fantasy Family Feud, uh, 12 to 1 at the San Diego Central Library, the 10th Annual All-Star Comic Book Podcaster Panel, uh, 12 to 1, 23 ABC, Production Designer, Architect of Imagination, 12 to 1, Room 29 AB, World Building, Telling Stories in Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, Federation Space, and That Galaxy Far, Far Away, Dear Lord, uh, 12 to 1.30, Horton Grand, uh, Colony, USA Network Series Screening, uh, by the way, sorry, any hesitancy on my part is not does not reflect the opinions of the tellers. I should also mention. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Twelve thirty to one thirty, room five A B. Sid and Marty Croft. A look at the future, pa uh, present, and past. Uh, tw one to two p.m. and the Indigo Ballroom. Nerdist Industries with Chris Hardwick. Uh, one to two thirty, room six B C F. Cartoon Voices one. Uh, one to two forty five in Ballroom twenty. Seth MacFarlane. 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, at Horton Babylon with the cast of Babylon. That's Babylon with the cast of Babylon 5. Uh, 2 to 3 p.m. at the library. Children of Tendu live with Javier Grillo Marquash. And, and Jose Molina also. And Jose Molina. My bad. Um, 2 to 3 p.m. at the Indigo Ballroom. The Awesomes, a Hulu original. Uh, 2 to 3 p.m. at 29 AB. The Return of Invader Zim. Sorry, guys. It's a comic, not a TV series. Uh... 2.30, again, not reflecting, uh, 2.30 to 3.30 p.m., room 5AB, Wonder Over Yonder, the Galactic Domination Tour, uh, 3 to 3.45 at Ballroom 20, Grim Season 5, with the cast and crew, uh, 3 to 4 p.m. at the Indigo Ballroom, Anything Goes, with John Barrowman, starring John Barrowman, uh, 3 to 4 p.m. at the library, uh, Lost Podcast and Beyond. That's the Lost Podcast, with Jay and Josh. All right. Uh, th 3 to 4 p.m., Room 6A, uh, The Muppet Show, that's the new Muppet Show, and presumably they'll also be talking about the old Muppet Show. Uh, 3 to 4 p.m., Room 60E, Outcast TV series, uh, once again, Robert Kirkman, it's the Robert Kirkman industry. Uh, finally, for me, 3.30 to 4.30, Room uh, 5AB, Doctor Who Comics Panel, Year 2 Crossover Event, and New Miniseries. 
At 3.45 to 4.30 in Hall H, we have the Entertainment Weekly Women Who Kick-Ass panel, which is always great. Um, uh, and I never get to go because of when and where they put it. But that has Gal Gadot, uh, Gwendolyn uh, Christie, Haley Atwell, Kathy Bates, and uh, and other people as well. Um, at 4 to 4.45 in Ballroom 20, we have the Stars Outlander panel, which is going to have the, the main cast and Ronald D. Moore and some other people. 4 to 5 in Room 9, Milestone 2.0, The Return of the Mac, which is about the Static Shock live-action digital series, apparently. 4 to 5.30 in Indigo, The, the Expanse. This is a new uh, sci-fi show. Four to f- 445 to 5.30 in Hall H, Dark Horse, an afternoon with Joss Whedon. 5 to 5.45 in Ballroom 20, Hannibal, Savor the Hunt, which is the, the Hannibal Panibal. Um, potentially the last, the final Hannibal Panibal tier. 5 to 6 in Room 9, Man of Action, taking comics from print to screen. Um, 5 to 6 in Room 29AB, Spotlight on J. Michael Straczynski. 5.15 to 6.15, Room uh, 6BCF, Person of Interest. Um, then we have at 5.30 to 6.30, Room 24, ABC, Disney, ABC, Reinvention, The Writer, The Director, The Story. Um, that seems like a pretty shameless attempt to just grab attention for Disney, but or whatever, that's fine. 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. in Room 6A, Salem, which is with a bunch of the cast. 5.30 to 6.30 in the Indigo Ballroom, Z Nation. Uh, 6 to 7, Room 9, Spotlight on Reginald Hudlin. 6 to 7, room 14A, The Geek Shall Inherit, a look at the evolution of geek culture. 6 to 7, in room 30, CDE, The Keys to Successful, career-changing acting and filmmaking in today's new entertainment industry. 6.15 to 7.15, in 6BCF, containment pilot screening and Q&A. 6.30 to 7.30, in 24 ABC, Inside the Writer's Room, the series, part two. 6.30 to 7.30 in room eight, The Genrise Journey, from comic book to animated series. 6.45 to 7.45 in room 6A, The Bold Voice of Contemporary Horror Film, Fantastic Fest, Beyond Fest, and Spectra Fest. 7 to 8.30 in The Horton Grand, The Nickelodeon's Variety Show featuring Breadwinners Live. 7.30 to 8.30 in room 6 BCF, an hour with Adam Savage. 8 to 9 in room 25 ABC, Creepy and Eerie Unleashed. 8 to 9 in room 6 DE, Rooster Teeth, Laser Team, and more. 8 to 9 in room 23 ABC, The Thrilling Adventure Hour Evolved. 8 to 11 in Hall H, Warner Brothers Television and DC Entertainment Screening Block. Supergirl Gotham. The Flash, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and also Vixen. 9.15 and 10.15 in room 6DE, Scream Queen's world premiere screening. So Maggie, what looks good about Saturday? Okay, as a nostalgic favorite, I'd like to start with Spongebob, because, you know, the reasons. After that, um, today's costume designers, because it sounds like it could be interesting. Following that, I'd like to see the return of Invader Zim. Yes, Simon, I would like to see that. Um, Because it's a really fun comic, and this year my class read a lot of graphic novels. And I actually looked for that for Invader Zim, and it wasn't out yet. So it would be interesting to see that. Okay, following that, I'd like to see Entertainment Weekly, Women Who Kick Ass. Oh, of course, the most important thing, Hannibal Savor the Hunt. Simon, how about you? Anything at all? Uh, I would definitely show up for the Last Man on Earth panel to be like, hey, that was a really great pilot you made. Did you consider making a good show after that? Boom! Boom! <laughs> Boom! 
uh, literally exactly like that and then run away. <laughs> um, so as so as not to see the face that January Jones would make afterwards. Not walk, right. Um, you would get, they would just, all of the shit would be heaped upon you. It would be funny, but you wouldn't necessarily want to hear it. I wouldn't necessarily make it out alive. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Um, Outlander, I'd be kind of curious about. Hannibal, obviously. I think I'm good after that, pretty much. I'm looking forward to not going to all of the Warner Brothers thing the way that I did last year, because uh, that was a mistake. And I've learned that lesson. Um, so instead, uh, for this day, I really am looking, I, you know, there's a couple of things that are really interesting. I feel like Last Man on Earth could be very interesting. Costume designers and production designers, I think, could also be very interesting. And that's something I don't know as much about as I would like to know. So that would be a good, I think, I imagine a good one to go to. Uh, Babylon 5 could be fun. Invader Zim, of course. Then, um, Entertainment Weekly, Women Who Kick Ass. I would always love to get in for this. So, like, if anybody's listening, is is there for something else and doesn't want to go to the Entertainment Weekly Women Who Kick Ass panel? Like, message me uh, or like tweet tweet at me on Twitter and I come give me like your bathroom pass and I'll sneak in and I can watch it and you cannot have to deal with the feminism and then I can give you the pass and you can go back in uh, for for the Joss Whedon thing while I magic my way into Hannibal. That could be awesome. Um, I just don't. Under- I always feel like that panel. I think it's good that it's in Hall H, but people who should most be seeing it and should theoretically be listening to these women are also the people that historically have not been interested in listening to these women and so been uh, not the best audience for them. And that's a, a, a continuing frustration with Comic-Con. Anyways, uh, for the rest of the day, uh, you know, like I still have never been to Thrilling Adventure Hour. I feel like that would be a, a lot of fun. All right. Uh, let us start Sunday then. 10 to 11 a.m. Room 6 BCF. The last day of summer. TV Guide's magazine. TV Guide magazines. Farewell to Phineas and Ferb. 10 to 11 a.m. Hall H. The Vampire Diaries. Special video presentation and Q and A. 11:15 to 12:15 in Hall H. Uh, Supernatural. Special video presentation and Q and A. 11:30 to 12:45. Room 6A. Cartoon Voices 2. 12 to 1 p.m. Room 29 AB. Danger Mouse new series exclusive reveal. Uh, that's vague uh 1230 to 130 uh hall h american horror story and scream queens ryan murphy and company 1230 to 130 in room 23 abc illustrators the hidden gems of film and television 1230 to 130 room 8 nickelodeon returns to comics 1 to 2 p.m room 25 abc children's hospital special special video presentation and q a cast and uh sorry creator and star rob cordry on hand for that uh, 1 to 2 p.m., Room 7AB, Le- Lego Ninjago. Uh, Ninjago, 1 to 2 in man. 6. Ninjago. Ninjago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, 1 to 2 p.m., Room 6A, official Sailor Moon panel. Need I say more? 1 to 2 p.m. in Room 29AB, The Art Heroines. Uh, 120, uh, 145 to 245 in Hall H, Heroes Reborn. If you're one of those people who's super stoked for Heroes Reborn. Uh, 145 to 315, Room 60E, Nickelodeon Animation featuring Sanjay and Craig. 230 to 330, Room 23 ABC, landing that TV animation storyboard job. Now there's a specific panel for you. 245 to 415, Room 6 BCF, Buffy Musical. Uh, once more with feeling, as per always, as I understand it. And they're also going to have a Q&A with Juliet Landau, which is not their normal thing. So that's a little different, but yes, it is the normal thing. All right. 3 to 4 p.m., Room 28 DE, Queer Imagery and Animation. 
3 to 4 p.m., room 29AB, Super Asian America, uh, with Chloe Bennett and others. Uh, 3 to 4.30 p.m., uh, room 25ABC, Business of Cartoon Voices. And finally, 3 to 4.30 p.m. in Hall H, FX TV Block, with Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, that's all one word, uh, The Strain, and a sneak peek of The Bastard Executioner, which is the new show from Kurt Sutter, and I can already hear the, the bated breath and the extreme enthusiasm emanating from the other side of this Skype conversation. Okay, Maggie, build your Sunday. Um, I'd like to start with Cartoon Voices 2 and maybe check out the Buffy musical. Apart from that, I'd see if there's any good education panels. Yeah, we've only been talking about the the TV panels, but there's actually an insane number of like how to use uh, geek culture and comics and TV and sci-fi and stuff in your education. There's like a there's like a lot of panels about that. So that I'm sure that'll be affecting Maggie's plans. Um, Simon, anything at all for you here? Would you could would you be able to to uh, hate watch the FX block or American Horror Story block? Oh, I mean, I would I would go to Children's Hospital and I would go to the FX block, but just to see if I could steal some of Dennis Leary's extra ego, because I know he's not using all of it. Um, I feel like I could use a boost. Okay. Uh, I would, I, li- I like uh, the notion of going to the Phineas and Fur panel. I feel like that could be a lot of fun. I feel like that's going to be a, a good, a solid, good room. Um, then Cartoon Voices 2, perhaps, though I have been underwhelmed by that one in the past, I must say. Uh, Children's Hospital, of course, and then I'm, you know, we didn't mention this one, but there's a queer imagery and animation panel that could be, could be interesting. And also, uh, Super Asian America could be interesting, but instead I will be at Starship Smackdown, ending the, the fast of people arguing about which spaceship and captain pairing is the best, um, randomly selected. So that, that's how I like to round out my Comic-Con. So, uh, on the whole, any, anything you're noticing, Simon, about, about these, comic-con things it's it's it feels like it's you know more and more taking over these giant blocks of networks just promoing all of their shows instead of being more individual like show creators uh promoting their shows yeah i mean i think that's just a it's i would think it's a byproduct of just there's more of everything and they have to cram it in yeah pretty much any any other thoughts maglar about comic-con this year the things you're looking forward to i just want to make sure that i plan it in a realistic way where i can see get into things that i want to see and have enough time to move around because when you put your set your sights on seeing all of these different panels and then you can't because of lines and everything gets to be frustrating so my goal is to plan it wisely and realistically so I can take advantage of the whole gamut um, and get into things I want to see, but also not try to run around or lose out on things because of lines. Yeah, and also I plan ahead with food and, you know, actually take breaks and get enough sleep and that kind of thing. So you enjoy your time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too. This is not a FOMO situation for me. Like, there's one or two things that I really want to see. Hannibal's one of them. Um, but on the whole, it's just more about the experience in the weekend and hanging out with my sister and meeting some of our listeners, hopefully. So that that's the overall preview, TV preview for Comic Con. It's insane. Thank you, Maggie, for joining us. Um, and we'll check in next week with our uh, with Whitney McIntosh, who is also covering. Uh, Comic-Con, t- the TV side of Comic-Con for Sound on Sight with our with a wrap-up of, of all the, the things that we that really stood out and what our experience was like. But that'll be coming next week. For now, uh, that that's more than enough. So we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.